This episode is brought to you by GiveWell. Donating money to help other people is a wonderful act. But how can you be confident? How can you know that your donations are actually improving or saving lives effectively? It's hard to do. You could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, what programs they run, what their administrative overhead is, how effective those programs are, and on and on and on. It would be a full-time job. It could take forever. I know this from experience because I tried to do it that way manually. It is a ton of work. GiveWell spends more than 30,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations. Then they direct funding to a few of the highest impact evidence-backed opportunities they've found. They do the work for you. More than 100,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate more than $1 billion, which includes 678,000 donated by you, my dear listeners. So it makes a difference. Rigorous evidence indicates that these donations will save more than 150,000 lives and improve the lives of millions more. That's why GiveWell does what they do. And using GiveWell's research is free. GiveWell wants as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about high-impact giving. So they publish all of their research and recommendations on their site for free, no sign-up required. They allocate your tax-deductible donation to the charity or fund you choose without taking a cut. If you've ever donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $100 before the end of the year. That's 2022. So one more time, if you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $100 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to givewell.org. Give, G-I-V-E-W-E-L-L.org, givewell.org. And when you get to check out, pick podcast and enter Tim Ferriss Show. It's that simple. Make sure they know that you heard about GiveWell on the Tim Ferriss Show to get your donation matched. One more time, that's givewell.org. And when you get to check out, pick podcast and enter Tim Ferriss Show. This episode is brought to you by Allform. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about Helix Sleep and their mattresses, which I've been using since 2017. I have two of them upstairs from where I'm sitting at this moment. Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started making sofas. They've launched a company called Allform, A-L-L-F-O-R-M, and they're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. So I'm sitting in my living room right now, and it's entirely all-form furniture. I've got two chairs, I've got an ottoman, and I have an L-sectional couch, and I'll come back to that. You can pick your fabric. They're all spill, stain, and scratch resistant. The sofa color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, the shape to make sure it's perfect for you in your home. Also, all-form arrives in just three to seven days, and you can assemble it all yourself in a few minutes. No tools needed. I was quite astonished by how modular and easy these things fit together, kind of like Lego pieces. They've got armchairs, love seats, all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there's something for everyone. You can also start small and kind of build on top of it if you wanted to get a smaller couch and then build out on it, which is actually, in a way, what I did because I can turn my L-sectional couch into a normal straight couch and then with a separate ottoman in a matter of about 60 seconds. It's pretty rad. So I mentioned I have all of these different things in this room. I use the natural leg finish, which is their lightest color, and I dig it. I mean, I've been using these things hours and hours and hours every single day. So 
I am using, what I am sharing with you guys. And if getting a sofa without trying it in-store sounds risky, you don't need to worry. All form sofas are delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping, and you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. Your sofa frame also has a forever warranty that's literally forever. So check it out. Take a look. They've got all sorts of cool stuff to choose from. I was skeptical and it actually worked. It worked much better than I could have imagined. And I'm very, very happy. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Tim. That's A-L-L-F-O-R-M dot com slash Tim. Allform is offering 20% off all orders to you, my dear listeners, at allform.com slash Tim. Make sure to use the code Tim at checkout. That's allform.com slash Tim and use code Tim at checkout. Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now we're just in a perfect time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim Ferriss, and this is yet another edition of The Random Show, episode number 4,732. Kevin Rose, serial entrepreneur, <laughs> amazing, good fella, generous soul, Thank kindred you. spirit. We started when we were four yeah. doing these podcasts together. <laughs> we did. It's been quite a few episodes. Avid wearer of trucker hats and yes. drinker of red wine, as we've already established by the sound effects that preceded this introduction. Kevin, nice to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you as well. We need to do this in person more often. We do. We one it was so fun. Year. It was so fun to do it in person. What uh, nectar of the gods are you suckling over there? Yes. Uh, I'm having a little bit of the mascot from Napa Valley, the Harlan family. We know Will, obviously, over there. And they are quality producers of quite fine Cabernet red wine that is just amazing. This is like my favorite... To be fair, I'm conflicted a little bit because I am on their advisory board, but um, I they make great wine. They do it's, make great wine. It's, it's fantastic. I've been over yonder back when I was living in NorCal. You and I had quite a bit of that, even before you were on the board. Very, very yeah. tasty grapes. Tasty, tasty grapes. Yeah, absolutely. They can put that on the label if they want as a quote. Tasty grapes from Tim. <laughs> yeah. Just in the back. Founder of Cockpunch. Tasty grapes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure that'll do wonders I think, for their floor price yeah, of their wines. Yeah, for that for that very high and top shelf <laughs> yeah. legacy multi-generational branding that they're going after. Yes. I think that would really help. Yes. I am drinking That's what you want. It's just tasty grapes. It, tasty grapes. I am drinking. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, this thing, which I am drinking. No. It's this little can. Of R13 Ginger Mule Hard Ketones. So this is ethanol-free wow, alcohol. <laughs> Hold on. I have other ethanol alcohols. You're as drinking well. hard ketones now. Hold on. That's where we're at. Pause. Don't knock it until you've tried it. <laughs> so, I'm not gonna say that. So R13 butane dial. I know you're gonna I know where you're gonna take that. So the R13 butane dial, a few things. Number one is you do get drunk on this stuff. You cannot drive hmm. if you drink this stuff. And like all alcohol, pretty much. Like all alcohol. But the <laughs> point being that it is not ethanol, so you are avoiding some of the metabolites and issues through liver metabolism that you run into with oh. re regular alcohol. It is also an appetite suppressant, 
So if you're used to drinking and then just housing five pizzas, like I did the other night, then this is a counterbalance. And what I've been contemplating, I've already so it's, done it's, this once. It speeds you up, though. It's ketones, right? So it's like, it's like well, Coke here's the thing. alcohol. It's, no, it's ketones, but it's not beta-hydroxybutyrate or a performance-enhancing ketone. This is a hard ketone intoxicant. So you have to be very careful. They have warnings, no pregnant ladies, et cetera. All this stuff, do not consume more than three per day. Oh my you, God, legitimately, like you legitimately get intoxicated when you drink this. So you have to be very careful. But it contains... Does it burn when you pee? No, it does not burn with, when you pee. It does not give you horns or a vestigial tail or, or eyelid hair. None of those things. And I have been enjoying experimenting with this because what I will sometimes do, and I haven't done this much, but I will have one of these. You're an investor. I can tell. Look at you sipping not up like an ad placement. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the Wayne's world when they're like, drinking like Pepsi. Like, <laughs> I will have one of these every no, night at 7 I am, p.m. I am not, I am not an investor. <laughs> I have no vested interest, unlike that shill Kevin Rose. <laughs> I have no best. <laughs> I said I was involved. <laughs> I almost spit the great grape juice that you tasty, called it. Or tasty, you, tasty grapes. Tasty, tasty grapes. Yeah. So yeah, I am not I am not involved. I have no problem hawking the stuff when I am, but this is actually very tasty. So ginger mule tastes like a Moscow mule, but it has no ethanol-based alcohol in it. And here's what I'm gonna do. So I'm gonna have this first, hopefully. And this is, I think, perhaps wishful thinking, but I'm hoping the ketones will have some neuroprotective effect so that when I then shift into fifth gear to have this, which is Ooh. a tequila I've become very, very fond of. I'm not involved, uh, but I have been drinking it because I had it first at a restaurant called Suerte, so Suerte, here in Austin, which has excellent Tex-Mex food, very high-end outstanding cuisine. And the first time I had this that the server recommended was at that restaurant when I was having dinner with Chase Jarvis and we were both blown away. By I love Chase. Chase is a great guy. Uh, Chase and his wife. Fantastic both, human. Both wonderful humans. And we were both really impressed with this and I enjoyed it so much that I ended up buying a bottle, which is quite rare for me because I don't drink that much, but I do really like tequila. I mean, if you are in Texas and you drink alcohol, yeah. you owe it to yourself to explore the range of tequila. And this stuff is outstanding. It's just fantastic. So this will okay. be, this will be step two. I have two questions for you. Actually one question. Uh, I, you can cut this later if you want. <laughs> oh boy. You said, you, you said on a private text to me that you had a couple drinks with the Tia last night. A Tia is not a big drinker. No. Um, at all. No. Every time I've gone out to dinner with him, he has one tequila. I had more than he <laughs> you know had. What I, mean? I had more than Peter. Okay. <laughs> is, was he into this ketone thing as well? Was he, no. he, he was was that no. what you were drinking or no? No, no, no. no. Okay. We, were, we were drinking red wine from Spain, which was fantastic. Okay. In the moment, I've just found I love red wine. I'll continue to have it on occasion. Maybe I'm just becoming the crypt keeper. If anybody gets the reference, got to be pretty old already to get the reference. My body tolerates wine of any type increasingly poorly with respect to sleep. Mm. If I have three glasses, man, I feel like somebody put a pillowcase over my head and just punched me in the face for like an hour in the middle yeah. of the night. It's rough. Do you get the the, the hot sweats? I do. Reliably. Yeah. And you can track it. If you have an aura ring or something else on, you look at it, you're like, good Lord, what happened to my body in the middle of the yeah. night? Yeah. 
And it's just this happens to Daria too. She's oh, like a so sweaty bad. linebacker in the middle of the night. Like it's like yeah. you don't want to go near it. It's, it's like, brutal. Yeah, it's a lot. And I know that's going to happen, which is why if I'm going to have a drink, a real drink or otherwise, I have not found this stuff to help sleep. By the way, the R13. As much as I am interested, and I have been, I have boxes of this stuff, and I'm not an investor <laughs> because I'm interested in how I might use this to moderate ethanol based alcohol consumption, which mm. I enjoy, but let's just say I can pregame with one of these, get to a point where I'm kind of loopy. I will say that one of these compared to one, say, tequila soda, the R13 will fuck up my verbal acuity or my ability to speak much more than the yeah and that's all you're really looking for <laughs> so it's perfect for this podcast <laughs> and then day you just want to be slurring your words <laughs> yeah. The, yeah and and this stuff also per can i have found to throw off your physical coordination a lot more than an equivalent mm. single alcohol drink so you do need to be careful with it it's not something you want to pound and then it's, grab a chainsaw and go out gathering wood well, that's the weird thing is it's it's such a non-obvious, I would never have imagined you were going to say that when you started this podcast, because typically I think ketones is like, okay, yeah. I'm going to chug a bottle pre-workout. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you could go lifting right now, drunk lifting if you no, wanted to. No, this but. would be terrible for performance. This is bad for performance. I mean, it's not, well, let's, let's put it a different way. It is not a performance enhancer in the same way that other ketone supplements might be. So I have yeah. taken, even earlier today, I took a different exogenous ketone supplement because I was eating pretty low calorie today before recording a podcast this morning. And it, within 20 minutes or 25 minutes, reliably kicked up my blood ketone levels as would be measured with, say, uh, you just pee on a strip or oh, no, you, precision the, the, extra. You can breathe one. You can yeah. use, oh, you, precision, you can use a breathalyzer. Uh, you can use the finger pricks. I didn't measure it, but reliably, I will see a bump of one to two millimolars, which is substantial. Mm -hmm. And I went from being foggy and tired and slow to being fast with my words, not having to search for turns of phrase. Everything was coming quickly. Mm. It was very reliable as a performance enhancer. This, what I'm drinking, will have the opposite effect. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, this is really interesting. One question for you on that front, Tim, because like I know, you know, having traveled with you a ton to countries where you've been so generous as to be our translator, <laughs> Japan, uh, where, where Tim will translate for you for about six hours and then he'll just shut down. And then I get so grumpy. <laughs> and then you get pissed. You're just like, you figured out. I'm done translating. Google Translate's good um, enough, goddammit. I don't want to do yeah, this job exactly. anymore. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Tim was like our paid translator of one of my birthday parties for like the entire trip. Unpaid. <laughs> Unpaid. So <laughs> so I'm curious though, you know, you mentioned how quick your words just flow like butter. Like would it help in a situation like that, do you think? Have you tried it? Ketones when translating? For translating, I'm sure it would help. If you're using the right class of ketone, because when we're talking about ketones, you have ketone esters, you have ketone salts. Right. And I'm not qualified to talk about the intricate science of it all. Someone like Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who I've had on the podcast at least twice, yeah. is one of the preeminent researchers in the space who also works with, I, I want to say the Department of Defense might be DARPA in synthesizing 
compounds for special forces and Navy SEALs and yeah, so on. Yeah, I was going to say, the SEALs using it at some point? Right. And so they need measurable benefit. And one of the measurable benefits is that it helps you to sustain physical and cognitive performance under conditions of low oxygen, which you might experience if you're doing, say, extended deep diving or submersion, yeah. which you might also experience if you're at altitude. So I recently, this would have been early October, I used ketones to help acclimate to altitude and then tapered off of the ketones so I wouldn't perhaps prevent some of the physiological adaptations that I would want to sustain without using ketones every day. So they're, they're fascinating. I will say, if I'm taking the other side of the argument and making a counter case, I am skeptical that taking exogenous ketones constantly when you are consuming a normal diet, which is relatively rich in carbohydrates, so your blood glucose is not necessarily pathologically elevated, but if your glucose is normally elevated, and then you have very elevated blood ketone levels, my understanding is that does not readily occur in nature, at least with humans right. in an organic capacity, unless you are in a dangerous position as a diabetic where you're experiencing ketoacidosis, which is very can be right. fatal. I mean, it's very, very precarious. So my feeling is if this doesn't occur in nature, because normally you'd be producing ketones in a state of starvation, even though I should be clear, we're, we're producing ketones a lot of the time, but in, in trivial amounts. By the time we get to the point where we're noticing it and we're breaking down meaningful body fat in order to produce these alternate sources of energy, which the heart and the brain really love. The heart and the brain right. really like ketones. Do they prefer them over carbohydrate? Is that right? Or glucose? Is that right? I've heard that said. I don't have that much difficulty believing it from a first person perspective when I've done extended fasts, especially. The ketones provoked, or the maybe it's just the spectrum of changes provoked by fasting, say on day two or three, where my ketones will naturally be in the 1.5 to 2.5 millimolar range, that condition feels different and I feel sharper than I do when I use exogenous ketones, supplemental ketones, to get to the same measurement using a single device. And I'm not sure why that is, but it feels different. You feel much sharper when you get there through fasting, in my experience. And that is to say, not all ketones are created equal. So this right yeah. here is going to make you slur your words and shit the bed from a performance perspective, but might be fun as an experimental ethanol replacement. And then there are others. Uh, there are many different options out there that are documented for performing. Uh, excuse me, documented, yeah. there go the words, documented for improving performance. So one question for you, Tim, I, and we can move on to uh, all the whole slew of topics that we have, otherwise this will be a two-hour ketone episode. But <laughs> I'm curious, when, when, when people are listening, it's like, there's no doubt right now, a lot of people are like, okay, this sounds crazy, this sounds kind of fun, maybe yeah. I want to try this. You've already mm -hmm. mentioned the drink. Yep. What about if you're just doing it for mental performance? Like, is there... The one brand that I know had licensed the patents from mm, somewhere in England was HVM, HVMN. 
Yeah, HVMN. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I believe that they are very focused on this particular type of ketone, the R13. Okay. I don't want to say that with great conviction, but I would say to everyone, you owe it to yourself because you're putting something in your body that is going to have one way or the other could have a significant impact on your blood chemistry and your entire biological system. Read a few studies, <laughs> find out what the exact ketone is and go on PubMed or somewhere else and just read at least a few abstracts. Yeah, but we just want to know what you're taking, dude. Just tell us the brand. What are you? What are you? What are you juicing up with? In the what am I juicing up with? Here, hold on. Like, I'll, what did you take before the podcast? Yeah, I'll What's grab it. I'll grab it. Hold on a second. I'll grab it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'll entertain you all. Why Tim is is gone? So what Tim doesn't know is we've secretly replaced his ketones. <laughs> Diabetic horse urine. I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this right here, ah, uh, you know what? The details are not. The specifics are not on the back of this. It's on the back of a larger box, but. <laughs> the label the label does not scream scientific credibility but <laughs> it's a fun label so this right here it's going to be a little hard to see the label reads ketone aid so that is the brand snake water ketone ester and electrolytes so it's ketone ester plus electrolytes the brand name is ketone aid one word snake water I want to be super clear, though, because I think people can fuck themselves up with these things. I am not a doctor. Mm -hmm. I do not play one on the random show or on the internet. Do your reading and talk to your doctor because there are people for which something like this would be contraindicated. So pay attention, folks. Yeah. yeah I mean, never never take a supplement from the man that created Cock Punch. That's just <laughs> fair to say. I think, that, I think those are very wise words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Furthermore, you know, just as a side note, I want to say I, I love when I'm talking to someone and maybe, especially in Austin, like you can't throw a rock without hitting someone who wants to tell you about their latest like ayahuasca experience. It's just like you can't escape it. And if you're at a group dinner, sometimes that something will come up related to psychedelics. You just, you cannot avoid it in Austin, which rubs me the wrong way sometimes, but I'm kind of, I guess I contributed to it probably in some way. So there you go. Just desserts. But the point I want to make is be having a group dinner and somebody will say, I don't really don't do drugs. I just drink. And I'm like, oh, you mean the civilization destroyer? That's the only one that you use? Right. <laughs> it's like, it's a drug. Yeah. It's I mean, drug. to pretend like alcohol is, it's just, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Come on. I was just going to say anything you put in your body that provokes a change, that's a drug. Banana, ketone, tequila, you know, prescription medication, they're all, they're all drugs. Every time I talk to Atia about alcohol or anyone on his team, they're just like, don't do it. It's Why? just so it's bad. The, it's the worst. It's yeah. so bad for you. And I'm yet, like, 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 sometimes you just want to have a drink. Are. Sometimes you just want to have right. a drink. All right. Speaking so, of which, so speak, let's move into the show. Let's move into the show. So New Year's resolutions. What do you have, Kevin? And is there anything that's been on there for like five years straight and you're bringing uh, it up? We could go back. <laughs> we have at least five years of random shows that we could, we could probably do a flashback <laughs> to every single failed All the one. failed resolutions. <laughs> That'd be an yeah, amazing exactly. montage. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, there'd be so many. Um so I would say I want to hear yours as well. I'll do a rapid fire on on mine, and and if you feel like digging in deeper on any of them, you're welcome to. So okay. I mean, 
the no-brainer is just not drinking in January. That's that's a no-brainer. It's just a good reset. Have you done that um, before? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like uh <laughs> that, was, that was a little so so hand signal we got. No, I mean it's like uh, you know, it it, it depends on how many months or how many <laughs> Oh boy! It depends on how you define January. <laughs> the, the witness so. is getting uncomfortable. He's sweating, starting to shift around. I know. <laughs> Listen, I just got back from a seven-day silent meditation retreat. I did not do any alcohol and um, paragon of self-control. You didn't get hammered on your meditation retreat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, question for you: If you're not going to drink, I know that f- people may not know this. Flying makes you super, super nervous. As far as yeah, I, I don't remember, he really doesn't like. Yeah, we flying. shouldn't be in the sky. Yes, yeah, so no, we shouldn't do it. <laughs> yes, it doesn't make sense. So when Kevin flies, Kev Kev tends to have a drink or two or three. I mean, I like a, a glass of champagne. On you know, it's like you know, All there's right. nothing wrong with. Well, we can pretend that's what we're looking at. No, you're right. So here's the deal. So I'll would you, you have to cut back um, on your travel for a booze-free January? No, no, no. Like, I'm not that bad anymore. Like, when I flew back from the meditation retreat, I didn't drink, which is great. <laughs> Did uh, you take a handful of Xanax, though? Tell me the truth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I, was, I was fine. I was totally fine. Wow. And Look at that. Go meditation. It's one of those things where I don't know why it is. You know what it is about flying? It's, this is going to sound ridiculous. It's that I'm not flying the plane. Like, I want to be in control, and I kind of <laughs> yep. want to fly it. <laughs> but I don't know how, so that doesn't make sense either. So it just, it's a very confusing thing, and it's something that is just, you know, we all got our things. Yeah. I'm sure all. you have. Oh, is, I got, what, I got what plenty you, of things. Actually, this is a good one. Yeah. I haven't unpacked this with you ever. Oh, boy. You're, you're Tim Tim the, the fearless. Like, you, you do all kinds of crazy shit. Like, what's the one thing that people wouldn't know yep. that scares you? Terrified of heights. Say spiders. Terrified of heights. Are you serious? Yeah. And so when I go rock climbing, I do this as a way to try to inoculate myself against some of the fear to the extent that if, if I get to a height that many people, even up in a tree, like 15 feet, something like that, my legs will start to shake. I have, I'm very afraid of heights. And when I rock climb, I'll be belaying somebody, let's just say, and it's my mm-hmm. turn to go. Before I am even on the wall, I have sweat pouring off my hands. So, mm. so I end up using... I can't just use chalk because it turns into this sticky mud on my hands. Yeah. And if I go up a wall, even if it's a small wall, let's say it's a 50-foot wall, I'll have to reapply chalk like five times. So what I will do, it's actually, people might find this useful. There's a product called Rhino. It probably has another word there, but Rhino, basically antiperspirant for your hands used by some competitive rock climbers. And that is the only thing, it was recommended to me by a professional level climber that has helped. And I am fairly sure, sorry, company, it's a great product. If you're constantly inhibiting perspiration through the hands, I have to imagine there may be side effects, I would think. So I I haven't used it all the time. But if I'm training, let's just say, as I would like to, this will come back to the resolutions, I guess, but train at least twice a week, three times a week, like for a period of time, why not, right? If I did that three, four weeks on, one week off, and did that for a quarter, I don't, uh, it'd be hard for me to imagine that would do a lot of damage. But I am very afraid of heights, to answer your question. And Have you ever done the VR thing where you walk out on the plank and it's like you're up on a like 15-story building or 20-story building? I'm actually 
for whatever reason, fine with that. I have maybe hmm. it's because it's not convincing enough yet, or the kinesthetic feedback isn't quite there yet, or the depth perception is quite not there yet uh, from an adaptive eye tracking perspective. Would you ever bungee jump? I have bungee jumped before. And it scared the shit out of me. And I wanted to do it in part because it was going to scare the shit out of me. And I did it off a bridge in Taiwan. This is forever ago. And everyone was going backwards. And they were kind of falling butt first. And I was like, all right, I want to, I want to get tied up and I want to jump off head first, (laughs) looking straight down as I'm going. And I did it and it scared the shit out of me. But I will say, despite all of this exposure, right? So if this were, I guess it's what, prolonged exposure, PE therapy, it does not seem to have reduced my fear of heights at all, whatsoever. <laughs> and That's crazy. I had no idea. That yeah. was, that's new for me. Oh, yeah. That's a real thing. It's interesting. The more, the more I fly, the less I care. Just talking about it, I kid you not, the, the more I'm just talking about he- heights right now and my hands are sweating. <laughs> so I've done a lot of, you know, this, like I've, I've, I've done a lot of rock climbing and, and did it a bunch in my youth. And, and I, I think that the sweating thing would happen to me as well, but that's just natural. Like you just yeah, like, yeah. you're going up a wall, especially if you're lead climbing and you're clipping yeah. in as you're going. Yeah. It's much scarier. I didn't know they made antiperspirant for your hands though. Yeah, they do. And yeah. I'll, uh, I'll look it up and keep, keep going on your, yeah. on your, right, so, so, so January uh, booze free, booze free means okay, no so booze. booze. Free, that's right. No drinks. Okay. All right. Wine is fine, but everything else is what? out. What? Um, Wine is fine. No, what kidding. kind of? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh so, God! Amazing. Moving, moving on. Um, so the sad thing is, I've been wearing. So I have a Whoop on and an Apple Watch on, and I've I've t- tested all these devices, and I and I really do enjoy playing with them and, and trying all the latest software out. And one of the things that is really disappointing to me is in the last year, actually a couple of years now since COVID, and watching Apple Watch will have a cardio fitness level built inside of it. And mine's like been slowly going down. And I'm like, ah, shit, you know, like sucks. I got to, I got to get back into shape. So, you know, my dad died of a heart attack. My grandpa died of a heart attack. Like cardiovascular issues are are not new to my family. So for me, this is like kind of a big deal, you know? So I'm really focused on cardiovascular fitness for this new year. And I essentially, a, a couple of things just to let people know where I'm at. I've tried out all the different latest versions of software for fitness tracking. I would like to link this up in your, in your show notes. There's a, a scientist on YouTube called the Quantified Scientist that I really like. He's awesome. He does uh, basically uses a lot of the kind of gold standard ways to track um, sleep and he'll hook himself up to all the real professional devices and then also use the consumer devices and say, how good are these devices? Like how accurate they are they cool. at really predicting the levels of sleep? How mm-hmm. good are they at heart rate detection while jogging? Like is the aura any good? Cause it's moving around on your finger all the time. And there's all these open questions and all he does, I think it's his full-time job now is just put out new videos with all the latest fitness trackers and tell you if they're any good. And a lot of them are crap. That's a cool niche though. That he's he's basically yeah, it's saying, a really cool niche. He's like, all right, we're gonna look at you know hydrostatic underwater weighing for body composition and compare it to whatever this thing is you're wearing. If we take it as, I think I'm getting that 
description right. But if we take this underwater approach as the, say, Olympic gold standard, how do these things stack up? That's cool. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. And so his, the TLDR is that the Apple Watch is actually pretty damn good now. It didn't always used to be, but it's really good for heart rate and it's really good for sleep. The Whoop I like because it's not as good as the Apple Watch, but what it does is it does activity-specific tracking. Mm-hmm. So for example, and yes, you can do that on the Apple Watch too. You can say, I'm, I'm doing elliptical or I'm doing all this stuff, right? But the Whoop is cool because you can say, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do a meditation. It'll detect that you're doing that, and then it'll give you your heart rate in real time, or it'll show you the graph after you're done over, mm-hmm. over that, like, that activity. And it's mm-hmm. much harder to try and find that data. Apple's their device is amazing. Their software kind of sucks. Like HealthKit and the whole health interface, it's just, it's not a consumer app. It's very clinical feeling. Yeah. So the data is there, but it's not represented in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, Aura has a brand new sleep algorithm. The uh, quantified scientists have yet to test that out against all of his other things. The, their sleep algorithm, I think, was pretty screwed up before, but they're testing a new one now. Um, you can enable it in beta. So I'm going to wait and see how that goes for, for sleep tracking. But anyway, my methods for cardio, Peloton rower. I'm not involved in Peloton in any way. I don't have any stock, but I, I saw the new rower and it looks pretty interesting. So they give you a 30 day money back guarantee. I just bought it. It'll show up in the next couple of days. I think that's good. It's, they say rowing is 80% of your muscles, mm-hmm. which is amazing all at the same time. So if you're looking for a quick hit, like, 15, 20 minute workout. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm going to give it a shot. I can hop in for a second. So I had a chance yeah, to, please. to test the Peloton rower for the first time. And this is part of due diligence because I have been having conversations with Peloton and you didn't know this before putting together the no. prep for this, this conversation. This is the first I'm hearing of it. Yes. Yeah, so Peloton and I have been talking about possibly doing something in terms of sponsorship on the podcast related to the rower. And as is my first step with all of these things, I asked to use a unit. I said, I have to test it. And I had the chance to test a unit. This would have been, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. And I was very impressed with it. And I can give you a couple of tips that might help other people who are also getting the unit. So the first is the form correction is very helpful and almost everyone will use their arms too much, lean back too far and use their legs incorrectly. There, so I don't know what the form correction is. Is this like in the software or something? It is like in it? the software. So it will show a profile of you on the rower and it will flash red in areas where you need to correct form. How does it know that? The front camera? Sensors in the seat and sensors mm. on the pulling mechanism. And there are probably other sensors on top of that. And the feedback is actually quite helpful. There is a competitive or former competitive, I think he's still current competitive rower, very large white guy who has excellent form. And there are other instructors who have excellent form, but he is the instructor who I know, and I'm blanking on his name, people could figure it out, who has a competitive background. And the reason that's attractive to me is if you are going to be a competitive rower in the long term and succeed, if your technique technique is not efficient, you are going to suffer from repetitive use 
injuries yes. and they will 100%. debilitate you. So I like the idea of modeling, at least in the beginning stages, the technique on someone who has competitive experience. So that would be a recommendation. I apologize, I'm blanking on his name. The last thing I would say, and I've provided feedback, product feedback, so we'll see, since I think they could make modifications quite easily with firmware instead of changing the hardware. And if my experience with the Peloton bike is any indication, they will make constant firmware improvements. So I expect by the time I'm even saying this, that once you get your shipped unit, I'm hoping there may be some modifications made. The sensors at the very back of the seat are very sensitive. So my experience was you may get a bit too much feedback in terms of a red alert indicating you're leaning back when you may not in fact be leaning back that far. So two suggestions, and these are my experiential suggestions, not any type of, I don't think, official suggestion. Scoot your butt forward just a little bit so that it's not all the way at the back of the seat. Second is absolutely focus on not leaning back excessively. And so I do think as a practice, especially for engaging your legs, it's good to almost lean forward slightly as you do the exercise. And what blew my mind is once I had the technique feedback, once I had the guidance in terms of exertion and some metrics to watch, I found that I could do longer rowing workouts. I could actually do long rowing workouts. And I have a Concept2 rower, and I like the Concept2 rower. But what I found is without any of those feedback mechanisms, I would crank up the resistance because there's a resistance dial on the Concept2, crank up the resistance, and I would go balls to the wall for 500 meters, and I would effectively be done. My heart rate would be through the roof. My arms would be sore, but my legs would not be sore. And I was roasted. I could go longer if I were trying to do something, let's just say as a short morning workout, 500 to 750 meters. And I was like, okay, I think that at this point, my biceps are the weak link in the chain. Using the Peloton rower and following the feedback easily could do a 30 to 45 minute workout, which better engaged all of the musculature that you were aiming to engage. So I had a very positive experience, very positive experience. I'm sure that they will, of course, and they already, I'm sure, have many plans to iterate on the firmware. So I think you'll enjoy it. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts. Now, I will say, since you gave a, a peek behind the scenes earlier, I'll do you the same favor. When you send me those naked mirror selfie shots post-workout, every once in a while, I'll get no, one of these. Which I always do. I'll you know, get one of these from Kevin. You, you send me Apple Cash right after. And oh, it's I great. It's tips. great. Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I did upgrade to premium on your OnlyFans. And <laughs> it's, I, I always get the tricep shot and, and you, you have good triceps. I always get the tricep shot. I do yeah. not, I, it's anyway, not, fr- it's, still it's not, it's not, fre- <laughs> still got it. It's not frequent. <laughs> it's not frequent that I get the quad or the calf flex. I don't get I have those. good quads now. What? Come on. I, well, they're getting better. I've been doing a lot of squats. I'll send you, I'll send you some updated pics. Oh, oh, right. Great, great. Good, good, good. Fantastic. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ensure that you understand that using a rower involves your legs. I just wanted to make sure that that was 
No, you know what's funny is it no all jokes aside, Tim, like seriously, in the last like four weeks, I've really focused on my legs and I'm enjoying it a lot. No shit. It's like, Good. I don't know about, so I've always, hate, I still hate abs. Like there's no, there's nothing about abs that I'm ever going to love. But like, once you actually start to build up your legs, it, there's like this, I mean, it's like with anything fitness related, like there's this yeah. painful first few weeks. And if you can cross that chasm and kind of get on the, the other side of it, yeah. I don't know. Things are looking up on the legs. And also you just feel, you feel a lot better. You feel a lot stronger. You feel much more stable when you're doing that kind of yeah. work. Just a quick thanks to one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably AG1 by Athletic Greens. If you're traveling, if you're just busy, if you're not sure if your meals are where they should be, it covers your bases. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'll be hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense formula on the market. It has a multivitamin, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, and adaptogens. You get the idea. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash Tim. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Tim. I don't want to interrupt your flow on the New Year stuff, but I am. I have some physical resolutions as well. Jump in, why not? Well, so, we can we can jump back to mine. Let's just keep it yeah. going, popcorn it around, as they call it. Yeah. So I am going to be spending most of January and February focusing on skiing. I find skiing to be a perfect blend of some of my favorite things. And I have done snowboarding. I just tend to injure myself immediately because snowboarding comes very naturally. I still think I'm a 15-year-old skateboarder and I start doing stuff at the park and getting fancy and then I injure myself inevitably. So rather than try to rely on restraint, which is not my strong suit, I just don't allow myself to snowboard anymore. Skiing is a wonderful combination of time in nature, being outside, moving with speed under control where you get an adrenaline hit, but ideally without excessive danger. It is subtle and you can refine technique for a long time and not run out of room to improve. You can make quantum leaps in your performance with proper instruction. And, and you can do it like when you're 70 too. Like and you can do can, it when you're older. Yeah. And that has become so much more important for me. And to this end though, I am, or both in process and leading up to it. So let's just say I have actually not that much time. I have like 10 days. So I'm not going to do a whole lot of conditioning in the next 10 days, but I have done some leading up to it. Focusing on lower body, lower leg. I've torn, as you know, I've had so many injuries. So I've torn most of the connective tissue, the meaningful connective tissue in my ankles over the years, just from out 
outrageous decisions and and bad commitments uh, with combat sports and getting heel hooked and things like this. So I, as a result, need to compensate by strengthening the lower legs on the lateral portion, the rear of my calf, everything to try to compensate for weak ankles and terrible dorsiflexion. And is that your weak point? If someone wanted to take you out, you just go for the ankles. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta go for the ankles. Just curious. It is a weak spot, so yeah, you can go for the ankles. If someone wants to come at me, <laughs> go for the ankles, and I'll just pull out my concealed carry and shoot you in the face. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if you're pissed at that yeah. cock punch floor price, just go for his ankles. <laughs> yeah, if you go for the ankles, just uh, be prepared. I may be packing. Uh, so there is that, <laughs> and the reason I bring all of this up though is that. It's one thing for me to make a commitment in, say, an urban environment to improve lower body strength and to work on stability and to do so in a way that is sort of clinical in a workout without real-world engagement. But if I really want to stack the deck in my favor to accomplish that, I want to set the environment and I want to set my social interactions in such a way that that goal is served. And I recognize this is a very fortunate position that I'm in, but I do think people can borrow this maybe framework or way of looking at goals to think about, all right, I say I want to do X. How can I optimize spending time with people who will help me achieve X or who are already Mm -hmm. achieving X or are trying to achieve X? How can I put myself in locations where mm. I am more likely to interact with those people and absorb some of these maybe ancillary habits related yes. to my primary goal through so, sheer exposure. So Tim, tell us, tell us that, that is, I think that is such a very, very important thing, this idea that the sum of your closest friends largely makes up you know, what you're into, your hobbies, like yeah. the things you get excited about. Like When you find there's something new you want to go after. Let's call it skiing or something like you're lucky because you can pick up the phone and like world-class skiers will answer and say, let me take you out for the day. You know, it's your Tim Ferriss. But like, how do you recommend that people going into the new year, if there's something new they want to get into, like, or they, they look around at their friend group and they're just like, this isn't helping me get to the next level. Like, what do you do if you're stuck like that? Go make some new friends. And I would say, furthermore, let's... Friendster. Friendster. <laughs> so aside from Friendster, I will say, and I'll, I'll mention this, I don't mention it that much, The 4-Hour Chef, confusingly, is actually a book about accelerated learning and skill acquisition. I talk a lot about this in The 4-Hour Chef. So even if you buy it, you don't give a shit about cooking, and you just want to learn about meta-learning and acquiring physical skills... There is a section called Meta Learning in The 4-Hour Chef, and I highly recommend that people dig into it because the recommendations work, and I've used them dozens of times now. One of the points that I make is if you go on Google and search whatever your target sport is, let's just for the time being assume you're trying to learn I want sport. to play that pickle sport. P- Pickleball? I haven't tried. <laughs> yeah, I haven't tried that yet. Yeah, pickleball is fun. Pickleball is fun. It's not the, it's more ankle friendly than tennis, but you can still roll an ankle or two if you're not careful. So it is exciting. Austin is also not only the third coast capital of ayahuasca and unending ayahuasca conversations, but 
also pickleball. There's a lot of pickleball here. And in sort of Central Valley, California, it's become very popular. But putting pickleball aside for a second, because that is not yet an Olympic sport, let's say you want to get better at a sport that is a professional sport, or I should say amateur or professional sport represented in the Olympics. Could be swimming, could be skiing, could be just about anything. Snowboarding, etc. If you search for snowboard, silver medalist, bronze medalist, or even maybe gold medalist from two Olympics ago, there's a very good chance, and this is not to minimize their achievement, but the fact of the matter is there are many sports that are financially rewarded in the U.S., basketball, baseball, and there are many that are not. And I don't think that's fair in a sense. It's not reflective of the dedication or skill necessary to be good at certain things. Gymnastics would be another one. However, that does mean an opportunity for a lot of people. And you could find a silver medalist or a bronze medalist who, by the way, in many cases, is just a gold medalist who had a bad day. That's it. And you could get one-on-one remote or in-person training with them in many cases for a hundred bucks an hour. And I realized that's amazing. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. It doesn't even metal. Any metal is fine. Like yeah, yeah. bronze. No, no, no. And, and here's the copper, thing. Copper. Like, like, yeah. You don't need, you don't need. <laughs> like, also, if you are, I mean, I am not the best skier, but I do ski black time and I've done some hella skiing and I've done a lot of off piste kind of off terrain. I'm not a great skier, but I have a basic foundation of ability. I do not need a gold medalist. I need someone who is substantially better than I am, and this is very key, and who can teach. Right. Because in many cases, you will find, say, a college coach, maybe they're retired, doesn't really matter, in a given sport, who will be a far better instructor and get you further ahead than a gold medalist. If that gold medalist has never really taught, everything they've done since age five has become second nature, so they can't explicitly name or describe what they're doing. So you have a broad menu of people you can choose from if you're trying to learn a new skill. And it is so mind-bendingly affordable in so many cases. There are so many fields. Let's take an example. I am very excited about archery. So some of my goals relate to archery for the new year. And I've been taking it seriously for a while. I feel very comfortable with compound. I'm focusing now on recurve and bare bow. Are you better than Atia or is Atia better than you? I don't know. I don't know. I I have no idea. I mean, Atia (laughs) has gone so full with archery uh, he's you know making his own materials putting on he his said own he's better fletching. than you <laughs> well then he might be no, i'm just kidding I'm just then he kidding. might be uh, i am i feel very confident in my ability to do what i have tasked myself with doing with well you got into respect. bareback riding a bareback. long time ago that archery remember that <laughs> you were doing yeah, bareback, bareback archery in japan I was, it's not bareback, but I was doing Yabusame horseback archery in Japan with traditional bows that are long bows, about six feet long. 
where you- Was there a saddle on that horse or no? There's a saddle, but the saddle is very, very thin wood. The only purpose of the saddle is to hold the stirrups on the horse so you can ride the horse without sitting on the horse. So you're effectively doing a wide squat in the stirrups. The only purpose of the saddle is to hold you on the horse. And the saddle is not intended to be sat upon. I have two antique saddles at home that I know that were my reward. (laughs) Those were my first real reward I gave myself in any meaningful way for anything I did. And it was for the four hour body hitting number one New York Times. That's why I have this. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. So, gosh, Tim, it's we've known each other a long time, man. Super long time. I remember, (laughs) I remember walking in. What was that downstairs place that you had where you had like walk in? You went down this hallway to Tim's house, and it was like there was a big, huge Japanese like you had the full armor, right? Off to the left. It was what was that? It was a little condo you had or something? That was the armor had traveled with me for quite a while. This was kendo armor that I used in Japan. A condo you had in San Francisco, right? With that little yeah, it was on the it was on the right hand side. So as you walked in, it was in two different places. One place I rented and then another place that I bought. And the place that I bought, which was in Glen Park, I guess both of them were in Glen Park. The first one had this hallway leading in, pretty long hallway, and it was all kettlebells. It was all kettlebells. It was like 20 kettlebells. And then you walk up and the armor was to the right. It was directly to the right across this walkway that went from the living room into the kitchen. And the armor was directly on the right when you came in to the place that I bought later. You'd walk in, and on the left-hand side was an entire chalkboard wall that had artwork on it. So it was like 12 feet of chalk art, which was incredible. So good. I was so impressed with this artist. And then on the right-hand side had the Japanese armor. And that was the kendo armor I used when I was in Japan. Tim's house back then was exactly because I met you and you just launched uh, for our work week. It wasn't, it was just the launch party was when I met you for that. And I remember I came to your house and I remember just walking at some point to hang out. I didn't know you that well. And it was just like, you walked on this aisle of kettlebells. It was like a hall of kettlebells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's like Japanese armor and like weird saddles and shit. Maybe the saddles were later, I think. Saddles were a few years later. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was like books all over the place with all these little note things in them, and I'm just like, this guy is crazy. But like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the honeymoon phase of our friendship. That's right, kettlebell date. So I am, I suppose, taking a long roundabout way of saying, do not assume that you do not have access to really good teachers. It's right there, but. People don't look for it because they assume that it's not. And this type of outreach and finding instructors, I did well before I ever had the first book. And you can do it. There are, there are very direct ways to do it. Yes, particularly if you know the right questions to ask. You need to know the right questions to ask. It is your job to use the instructor like the niche expert Google you want them to be to provide feedback. You have to know how to be proactive as a student. And if you learn how to do that, you also remove one of the requirements I gave. And that is you can take someone who is not experienced in teaching 
and make them a good teacher by virtue of feeding in the right questions. And I don't want to sound like I'm hitting it too hard because, frankly, I, I make next to nothing on these books. <laughs> uh, but the 4-Hour Chef Meta Learning section has all of this. It's very in-depth. So I encourage people to check it out. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. What um, else you got? Should we get into a couple more res- resolutions? or? Yeah, let's do it. I've shifted into fifth gear and I'm making the transition to the Lalo tequila. Just, FY, just FYI. I'm on my second and a half class, so it's going to get interesting real quick here. All right. So a, a few more things um, on my list, and then we can move on to, I want to talk to you about your NFT ventures and figure out how <laughs> that's going. But I finished my seven day, very first ever Zen meditation retreat. It was fantastic in so many ways. And I would say that the one thing that it gave me is when you sit for eight hours of meditation per day, you realize very quickly that 25 minutes is actually nothing. It's just nothing. And it has really, really helped me create, since returning from that trip, I had just haven't missed a day. And it's just been solid because it feels like it's so trivial. It's like, of course I can find 25 minutes to go and sit or do a double sit in a day and get to 50 or 55 if you're doing walking along with it. But it just reframed that entire thing for me, which I think is fantastic. And it also gave me this sense of just knowing I want to go deeper in this realm. And it, the experience of the community and at the Zendo and everyone getting together, you've been on one of these. And I know yours was a little bit rocky. Uh, <laughs> I'd be curious to see if you'd go, if you'd go back to one, but uh, I had a fantastic time. And so I know meditation is going to be top priority out of all the things that I do in, mm. going into next year. Well, okay. So let me ask some follow-ups. I will say, that I, I would be open to doing something like that again. I would probably try a different format. So at the time, I had done a Vipassana silent retreat. And the sitting was similarly intensive. In the vast majority of your day is sitting or walking meditation, mostly sitting. And I've told that story before, so I won't tell it here. If people want to hear that and you know, effectively it gets into some very heavy stuff. So I I won't rehash it here. But if you want to hear the story, I told it on 10% Happier, the podcast with Dan Harris, and we got into it quite a bit. I had effectively a full psychotic unraveling at my (laughs) extended meditation retreat, which relates to a bunch of childhood trauma and abuse and so on. So it's not what I would consider family listening. But if people want background, they can listen to that. It it ended up being a very important experience for me, but it also scared the shit out of me. And I was very worried about being in a psychological freefall. And thank God, Jack Kornfield, who has been on this podcast a number of times, who is an extremely masterful and skilled teacher, meditator, who is a clinical psychologist, has worked with veterans, adolescents who cut, he has a an extremely hybridized toolkit, which makes him very, very, very effective. And he walks the walk. That guy is as legit as it comes. So people may also want to listen to the podcast I've, I've done with him. I would be open to testing another format though. And I've been extremely impressed with Henry Shookman, who is your Jedi master, as I understand it. And Henry's amazing. 
He's been on your podcast twice now. He I has. People go back he and has. And I wanted to thank you for that introduction. You had recommended it. And he's outstanding. He is a very, very good teacher. He's a compelling speaker. And I could see delving into a different format to see what that provides. And I'm not in a rush to do it. I am, however, feeling some urgency to begin meditating again. I've completely fallen off the horse. And so that has been at the very top of my list. And I continue to find excuses to put it off. And it's funny because this happens to me once every year or two where I'll be meditating, meditating, meditating. And then suddenly it's like the excuse factory took a vacation for a year. And then it's like, I'm back. <laughs> and all of a sudden I fall off the horse and I stop. And it does not take a lot for me to feel tremendous benefits. I would say if I do, and my default for kickstarting this tends to be a concentration practice like transcendental meditation. I just find it to be the easiest way to get back on the horse. That or yeah, mantra based is easy it's yeah, like that. It's good. Yeah. It's good using like something like that. Or if I want to make it an even easier on ramp using say the introduction or the introductory course with the waking up app and Sam Harris. I find that to yeah. be extremely well done. It provides you with very discreet and, and cumulative tools as you go through it, really anything to get you into the habit. And I'll actually bring up something from a conversation I just had this week with James Clear. So James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. It's sold yeah, 10 million James, plus yeah. copies. Habits are his thing. And he shared something with me, a phrasing that I found very powerful and very memorable. And I'm going to paraphrase here. I don't want to speak for him, but he effectively said something along the lines of, when in doubt, keep the schedule, reduce the scope. Which means, let's say you've made a commitment to work out one hour every Monday in the gym. You're going to do leg day every Monday. And maybe it's not a 60-minute commitment. It's just, I will do my leg workout every Monday. And your leg workout, as it's currently outlined, takes 45 minutes. But then life happens. Shit happens. Who knows? The kid's got a bloody nose. The work call runs over and you look at your watch and you realize, uh-oh, I'm only going to have 15 minutes to do leg day. You have a few options at that point. And the option that I've taken with meditation is I don't have enough time. I'm not going to meditate. And his point is, even if leg day is a warm up on the rower and some body weight split squats, that's better than nothing. And the momentum and the consistency matters. So for, let's just say, meditation, if I were to take that advice, which I have not been, although I just had this conversation with him yesterday or the day before, even if you sit down to meditate for 30 seconds, just check the box. Like sit down and do it so that you can build the confidence to maintain some degree of momentum. And this applies to diet too, right? I think we've all had the experience of being on some type of diet, and maybe you had a little bit too much to drink, or maybe you ate a little too many edibles, and you're like, I just want a cookie. And you eat one cookie, and you're like, well, Pizza, since yeah. I had one 
cookie. Ah, well, I already screwed myself. So let me eat a whole box of cookies. And yeah. the, the reverse of that is, well, I already have too little time to get a proper meditation session and let me do no meditation. And his right. point is stick to the schedule, reduce the scope. And I think that's very powerful. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to commit, let me make a different statement. I'm going to commit to applying that to meditation in the new year. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'd love to hear that. Because that can snowball into some bigger, bigger things down the road. Yeah, totally, totally. Let's just we can move on from meditation because it's a pretty boring topic. But uh, <laughs> it, it's literally just sitting there doing nothing. But I would say, I would say the one thing that I was very fortunate in that I, you know, you met, we've been to my Page Street apartment back in the day on, yeah. on in SF. Like I lived right next to the San Francisco Zen Center, like right yeah, next yeah, to it, like literally right, right next Bar to it. was there, right across the street. Yeah, and so. Well, I took my first Zen course uh, at that Zen center um, back, you know, 15 years ago. And I would say that forever I was doing the calm slash, well, Headspace was my first app experience on meditation, you know, and I was doing the, the 10 or 15 minute meditations. And I did that, you know, consistently pretty, pretty well, like not seven days a week, but, you know, four to five days a week. And it, it gave me just some nice, moments to just kind of, ah, you know, I'm just going to rest a little bit. But I got to say, there's something even more special if you can just push into the next zone of that, you know, 25, 55 minutes, like they call this, uh, this word samadhi. I'm sure you probably heard of that before, but it's like this, this deep level that I've only slipped into probably a dozen times and it's, it's, I'm like, oh shit. Like there's, <laughs> that was a, deep that, that was a little here. bit of a flex there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Only, no, only 200 a, times or 300 times. No, no, no. I mean, it's not, that's not even near <laughs> what just, they, what's, it's just a, it's, it's okay, a, I'm just fucking with you. It's a deep state of meditation. It, it's not, it's not enlightenment or any crazy thing. I'm not okay. flexing that hard, it, but it's like, it's, it's a very hard thing to, to find. And, and it turns out that the more you chase it, the more it, it, it flees, which is, because you're trying for something versus just relaxing into the moment. Yeah, but it's true for anyway, happy, happiness in general, I would say. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? There's. Well, I'll say the one thing that I really loved about Henry. By the way, a couple things to mention about Henry as well, just to give him a little plug. He is my teacher. You mentioned the Waking Up app. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That was a turning point for me. I started listening to the Waking Up app. I paid for it. Love Sam's content. think it's well-researched. It's, it's probably the most... It's the best meditation app for people that aren't looking to necessarily just check a box, but actually want to go a little bit deeper because it has the supporting content. The conversations and the essays yes. are excellent. And he, and he has, I think, Henry on the app also. That's how I discovered Henry. Was Henry was, uh, Sam somehow found him as a Zen teacher, and Henry has several courses on the Waking Up app. So if you're curious about who we're talking to or talking about, you can go and check out uh, Henry's content on the Waking Up app and also enjoy the app as well because it's a great, well-made product that Sam has put together. So. And, and Henry's voice, he has this mellifluous, dulcet tones. It's fantastic. He's the kind of guy, yeah. if he read you the, as Neil Gaiman did once, the Cheesecake Factory menu, you'd be like, oh, I could listen to this all day. He's got a great <laughs> yeah, voice. Exactly. He's got a great voice. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, so a couple other things on my list of uh, New Year's resolutions, um, and then Tim, I'd love to hear your your final list as well. So two boring things, but you know, I think we can all relate. 
Uh, one, organizing my photos on the Photos app inside of Photos. Like, Jesus, it's a mess. <laughs> I got to go do that. I wait, want to do that this wait, year wait, at some wait, point. Wait, wait, wait. How are you going to do that? Because I look at my photos, uh, and I don't even take that many photos, right? I mean, like the, the youngsters out there take whatever it is, 20 selfies You send a day. me a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Those are usually... The most Those awful. two dudes with the one dude in the center. Wait, what? No, those weren't dudes. With the whipped cream? Those were not dudes. You got to watch it All again. those weren't dudes? No, they were not dudes. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> those are the most hideous things that my friends send me in these various <laughs> group texts. And by the way, side note, anyone out there who, as their personal theater chooses mock outrage, like, oh my God. God, I can't believe da 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 da. Every one of you, if you had your group text shared, would go down oh in flames god. like the rest of the world. So oh please, my god, dude, if I had my friends' group text shared, <laughs> Tim, you and I would both. It would be oh, game. Everyone, <laughs> no. Well, here's what would happen: is the entire world would be canceled. There's not. A, right, I can't. Right. And. I mean, if you wouldn't be canceled, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Your life is so boring, and your friends have no right. sense of humor. Well, that's the whole thing is like one, one of the things I love about my friends is that we can all give each other shit. We take it. And we also share things that are just so ridiculous. They make us laugh, but we're having fun with life. Like oh, yeah. we're, we're just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's humor. Yeah. And we realize that, but you know, if that thread got on the internet, people would be like, oh my God, they made a joke about this. And it's like, I'm not making any jokes that I wouldn't, I have no problem with. Um, my jokes wouldn't be considered to be, they'd be considered <laughs> oh, no. to be crude, but not the apologies. Well, I'm trying to like, classify them. No, I'm trying to classify them. <laughs> like they're not jokes that would, people would be like, oh, he's a woman hater or a racist or something like that. They're, they're, those aren't the jokes. Yeah. yeah. They're more just like a little bit crude and a little bit rough around the edges. Just but a it's, little it's crude. Just a, just a little crude. Like, like dude, your shit is, <laughs> I, I can't even show Daria some of the stuff of you sent me. You I can. showed her the, of course I showed you can. The, 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 the thing with the two people bumping, and she was like, Jesus. Oh, no, that was terrible. That was one. You know something. That was one of the worst ones you've ever said. Oh, me. it was so bad. You know something. Well, that's, I mean, kind of relates to my NFT project in a way. But it's like, you know it's, you know there's something horrible and special when you're in a group thread, and I'm not a woman, I don't want to speak for women. Men, I think, just in general, are much cruder, much rougher, I could be wrong. Please prove me wrong. But there's some just terrible shit that floats around. And again, it's not anything that would be illegal, but it's it's just in its own way jaw-dropping. Here comes and, the backpedal. <laughs> no, no, I'm not backpedaling. I'm not backpedaling. Now that you've got me started on this whole like apologizing to the woke supremacist thing, now I've been drafted into this thankless task. But the, the point I was going to make is... I don't know if you've had this experience, but you're in a group thread with a bunch of guys and it's just constant nonsense, right? It's just nonsense, oh, dick course. joke, That's nonsense, nonsense, yeah. nonsense. And then one person will throw something in and everyone's like, ooh, God, Jesus, God, it's terrible. Right. <laughs> totally. So, and then you immediately that, send it to I, five I, of your I, friends. I immediately send it to you. That's what, when I get one of those <laughs> right, gems, exactly. I immediately send it to you. Well, me and Sokka, like yeah, you, you yeah, do a yeah, thread with yeah, them. Yeah, we do. We, yeah, we do have some too. good ones. We do have some good ones. So how the hell did we get All right. this? Oh, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> uh, we were talking, okay, I was talking about organizing my photos. Oh, photos. Uh, so wait, how would you even do that though? 
because it, it seems like such an overwhelming task. It, it's, it's not even probably worth talking about. We can. I would just fire <laughs> up the Photos app, but I'm going to go back in time and start like going to town and oh, just wow. deleting Def- a bunch of crap. Definitely not going to do that. Okay, continue. <laughs> so but here's a more important one, though. This actually is is something that I... Two things. Well, we don't want to talk about the one, but the, the, the one thing that I do want to do... Is I'm wait, really wait, trying wait, to figure what was out. the one you don't want to talk about? <laughs> I've started coding Bump again, plugs? and so I'm. Tell me, no, no, not the, not the, not the plugs that you love. By the way, I, no, we're not going to get into that. So, <laughs> this is just going off the rails quickly. So I, I am starting to code again. It's um, when I move from ketones to tequila. It's when all the trouble starts. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's how you know this is going to be a good episode. I'm actually really ha- proud of us. We finally oh. have another uh, holiday drinking one, which is yeah. great. Yeah, next um, time in person. So, the the one thing I that, that I was going to mention is that just for fun, I I am starting coding again. I want to do something generative on the NFT side, which cool, uh, and ha- hopefully have something ready for our conference in May, mm-hmm. um, just for fun. And then the last thing I would say, and, and it's something that's really important to me, is I want to do this yearly delete of things, and I have this rule. And tell me, Tim, if you have a better physical, physical idea things. here. Physical things, yeah. And so what I'm thinking is that if I haven't used something in six months, or maybe I should even shorten to three months. Let's call it clothing, devices, etc. Like any something that's sitting around in your house, like just donate it, donate it, give it away to Goodwill, let it find a, the home it belongs in. And reduce your stuff to like, I, I'd love to cut in half, to be honest. Like, I don't need all the, the crap. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I have some policies for myself that have been very helpful, I think. And sometimes I overcorrect, and I'll explain why overcorrecting makes sense, at least for me. The first is, and I'm sure you get this, but I, I think I get it to a much greater degree. Maybe when you were at the helm of Dig, this was an issue. I get sent so much shit. It is unbelievable. Yes. I mean, I just get mountains of stuff sent. And we're in uh, the same boat, dude. Yes, yeah. It's a uh, lot. I was just that that's part of why I was thinking about it. It's yeah. like you get a lot of books, you get a lot of uh, swag, stuff. you get a lot of things. Yeah, you get a exactly. lot of stuff. And so one of my rules. And I don't follow it perfectly, but some rules followed imperfectly still add a lot of benefit. And in my case, if I'm going to keep something new, I try to get rid of something. So if I'm going to accept one thing in, one thing's got to go. If somebody sends me, maybe it's a really comfortable shirt that has some clever thing on it and there's some really minimal branding for their company and it's a friend's thing. And I'm like, okay, this is a comfortable shirt. Maybe I'll keep this. I will try to find a shirt that I get rid of because I I have simply too much stuff. I will also go through periods of purging and I try to do it leading into the winter because frankly, if you're out there and you have warm clothing, meaning clothing for cold weather, right? If you have layers or thicker clothing or long sleeve shirts that you are not using and you will not use this winter, holy shit, there are people who need that. There are people who are homeless. There are people who are without means to buy clothing for themselves or their children. Donate that stuff. And here's what I would say. If you're on the fence, give it away. 
right? And I don't want to do too much of the Marie Kondo stuff, but it's like, if, if it doesn't spark joy, here's what I would say. This is another... I love your accents, by the way. They're so good every time. Thank you. you. Yeah, if anybody didn't know, it's not it's not Marie Kondo, even though it's very convenient for the English speaking market. It's Marie, Marie, Marie Kondo. And Marie Kondo. Yeah, she has the most perfect skin of all time. By the way, people can find a photograph of me with her. I interviewed her in Japan. Most have you figured out what what her, what her secret is? Genetics, maybe. I mean, it's is that what it it's, is? it's 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 like. An AI created the perfect human porcelain doll. Her, it's it's unbelievable. I don't you know what it is. To her? She's cute. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she's also married and like has a family, and that's oh, not yeah. something I'm going for. But she's she's Listen, she's a good looking woman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Anyway. So all right. So, no, but let me let me come back to the thought exercise. And I have a question for you. But go ahead. I'm, I'm about open. buying stuff. Yeah, for sure. So the what I try to do when I look in, whether it's my closet or at things I own, is ask on on a scale of, say, 1 to 10, how much joy am I getting out of this or how much use am I getting out of this? And then the follow-up question is, no matter what the answer is, if it's a 10, I keep it, right? If it's a 9, I probably keep it. If it's an 8, I probably still keep it. But if it's less than that, could I give this to someone? Could I donate this to someone who would absolutely get an eight, nine, or 10 use or joy out of this? If so, get rid of it. And if you have some means, right? And that's doesn't mean millions of dollars, but getting rid of a t-shirt or two is probably not going to break the bank for a lot of people. In which case, when in doubt, Donate it. Give it to someone who can't afford to buy the shirt. And if you decide later, you know what? Oh, I really liked that t-shirt. I really liked that v-neck. I really liked that fill in the blank. You can buy it again. And I rarely end up doing that. But every once in a while, like I'll do a full purge where I'll, I'll just take garbage bags and garbage bags of stuff and donate it to Goodwill or somewhere else. And then I'll realize, ah, okay, I kind of got overzealous. I got rid of that one thing that I wore all the time. Yeah. And then I'll just buy it again on Amazon. It's there two days later. It's fine. Let me ask you, I have a very personal question and something that I haven't shared before that I'd like to ask you about buying things. Oh, boy. And, wow. No, I just, I just think that this is something that, that no, nobody talks about. And I always like to like, you're so good at finding stuff that you, know, you can pick up and, and you're a very open person, which I've always appreciated about your podcast and like just like how you... Uh, are transparent about feelings and emotions and a lot of things that I think a lot of men could use to look up to, you know, okay. in oh, terms God. of is this, the, is this question going to be a fucking hydrogen bomb. This is a tough one. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, so here, here's, here's a problem that I've had just mm -hmm. being completely honest. Yeah. There was back when I was in my, you know, twenties and early thirties, dig was doing quite well which was my startup for those of you who don't know, it was an early social news uh, website that was, it was killing it. it was, we had 38 million people a month that we were visiting the site. Huge. Um, it was back then it was one of the top sites on the internet. It was crazy. It started to go sideways and it started to go down and, and like, not, you know, like we were losing to Reddit, right? It was starting to kick our ass in some certain ways. And, you know, we had had dominated them for many years. And then all of a sudden that was not the case. And we were kind of reeling a little bit. I, had sold a tiny bit of my stock enough to be able to afford an apartment in actually buy and put a down payment on an apartment. And that's how I got my page street place in, in SF. And I remember thinking to myself, like, 
I need to buy myself something to like, it was a search to feel better, right? And so I went out and I actually bought, and this is going to sound super douchey, but I'm okay to say this today. Like I bought, actually I bought a Porsche. I bought a Porsche 911 back in the day. And looking back on that, I realized I was just in a really difficult, sad state. It was, it was hard for me, you know, to, to watch this baby of mine. And I didn't know how to course correct it, right? I was just so immature in a bunch of different ways. But I was buying for the sake of trying to fill a gap, right? Don't get me wrong. Like, I still think vintage Porsches and old Porsches and Porsches in general, they're just beautiful cars. Like, I, I, I think they're great. Um, I, don't, I don't have a 911 today. But I will say that I've noticed the same Kevin thing. Kevin is funny, not anti-Porsche in his group text messaging. I'm not anti-Porsche. <laughs> Please, don't cancel me, Porsche. <laughs> I would love to be sponsored if you want to sponsor me. I'm happy to drive a 911. Um, so that said, you know, it, it, here's the crazy thing. I went and ran Hodinkee, the luxury watch brand company. I was CEO there for a few years and um, loved my experience there because we were covering mechanical, like a dying art. Like it was like mechanical timepieces and it was very beautiful in its purest form. In its purest form, you talk to an artisan that is a single independent watchmaker that takes a year and a half to build something from scratch and sells 10 a year. That's beautiful. Those days are going away. In its douchey form, you're talking to Lambo drivers that just want to have a flex that they can hold a watch on their wrist that says, I have $5 million on my wrist, right? Like that's a real thing. And so I met with a lot as the CEO of this company. This is like the, the you know, the, it still is the, the largest watch brand editorial site in the world. And you would meet all these collectors and they would come up to you and they come in all different shapes and sizes. And it was clear to me that some of these dudes, like bless them, they were trying to fill that same thing that I was trying to fill. Where you, you go out and you spend money on something to make yourself feel in a group, feel connected, to feel connection. Because you'd come out and you'd say, these are other collectors like me. Like I, you know, and it's tough. And, and I'm not anti-watch. I still, I remember wearing an Apple watch today, but I, I still have a few time pieces that are really meaningful to me, including one that my dad left me when he passed away. And I still love that, that whole thing. But how do you approach this as somebody, have you ever spent your money on things? And then how do you approach it with <laughs> like, yeah. have you ever done that? And then also how do you approach that with, with significant others? Like, you know, I've had this conversation with my wife about like, hey, we don't have to wear the flashy stuff. It's okay to wear, you know, I, I told her the other night, like one of the, my, my favorite times to hang out with you is when it's jeans and t-shirts, like version of you at a bar. Like, I love yeah. that. Like at a, totally. having a beer, like we don't have to be fancy LA. Like, I don't want that. Wh how, where do you stand on, on, on all this stuff? So I think, and you've probably observed this in me. Uh, I mean, you're I so mean, good at this. This is why I'm trying to pick well, your brain. You I'm, don't do I'm any good. flashy shit. I'm good, but there is a downside. There is a trade-off, and I have not figured out how to contend with this. And I'll actually mention also a book <laughs> that has come up several times in the last week from multiple people I respect and. Remember uh, Rick Rubin, the, the music producer, said to me, when that happens to him, it, he feels like it's a, a signal from the universe that he needs to take a look at something. And so I kind of feel like that right now with this book, uh, which I'll come to in a second. I have had 
very few instances of buying expensive things for myself. And you've seen this. Oh, I know. I don't think I'm uh, stingy in all things. For instance, I will go to, if I think the experience is going to leave an indelible mark in my mind, I will go to a place like Alinea in Chicago and have a meal. And I did that. And I'm really glad I did. And it's very expensive, right? I mean, I would consider it very expensive. It's like 1500 2000 bucks for a meal. <laughs> and that on some level would make the 15-year-old version of me go into a seizure, right? I mean, like, did not grow up with a lot of money and uh, grew up in a household where scarcity of money was an issue. And oh my God, my dad would yell at my mom for spending yeah, too much money yeah, and yeah. stuff because so, we, she would literally bounce checks. Yeah. Like, I remember that yeah. being a conversation like was, the account is overdrawn. Yeah, like, yeah. it was a source of stress. It was a source of stress. And so I decided pretty early on as a kid, okay, I do not want this type of stress in my life. That means I need to figure out how to make money. And that in a way was the spark behind my entrepreneurial experiments. It's like, okay, it's great this, point. This type of stress that I have been immersed in and exposed to, and I don't think it traumatized me. I wouldn't put it that way. I wouldn't want to remove the power of that word trauma by applying it to something like this. And I think I, it kind of disgusts me how overused the word trauma is. That's a separate thing. But it affected me, it definitely imprinted something on me. And as a result, I have spent relatively little money celebrating anything, right? The fact that I spent, like these Japanese saddles, right? I bought them at auction from, I can't remember, it was Christie's or Sotheby's. And I think it was $5,000 a piece, right? And, and to, to allow myself to do that, the hurdle was not only do I have to finish and publish a book that is 500 plus pages, I think it was maybe 700 pages, which was cut down from probably 1,500 pages. Was this it, in your head or is it something you wrote down? Like this is the hurdle that you had to like, you were like- It was I'm in my head, like, but I, I said, okay. if, if I publish this book and it is number one New York Times, I will allow myself- as a reward to buy these saddles that cost $5,000 each. And if I don't, I'm not allowed to do this. So on some level, I respect that. And it's very strict, high standards. And on some level, all of those things are good. But what I will say is when I meet or spend time with friends of mine who have achieved some degree of success. And it's not always millions of dollars, right? They've, they, they've just figured out a job and a skill where they've developed a career and they're stable and they fix a lot of problems for themselves and they add a lot of joy for themselves and their families by spending money. The dark side of what I'm describing is that I don't think I've developed that very well. I have more money than I know what to do with. And I think I put, I put it, I don't want to sound like a prick. That doesn't mean that I'm just like doing 
backstroke through a pool full of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck. That's not what I'm saying. I think I am a very, very, hopefully this doesn't sound pompous. I, I think I am a very, very good capital allocator and steward of money. I think I use what I have to very high leverage means and objectives through funding yeah. the science and the journalism fellowship with Michael Pollan and so on. Like, but, but here's what I'll say, Kevin, is there's a dark side to it in that I don't use money to fix problems that I should fix. And like I, what? Give me an example. Uh, you know, I'll give an example, which would be, there are little things, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. So there is an article, it's not really an article, it's more an adaptation of John Stuart Mill's Ideas on Free Speech, which is an illustrated edition. It's called All Minus One. You can find it on Amazon. You can also get it for free. I think it's at heterodoxacademy.org slash mill. And this came about through a conversation with Jonathan Haidt, who is fascinating thinker and professor and researcher who wrote The Coddling of the American Mind and many other books. So this is, let's see, on Kindle, it's, I think, 78 pages. And I agonized over when I was going to find time to print this and put it together in a hard copy so that I could mark it up. Because I didn't want to wait for the, the paperback. This is stupid. I have employees. I could send this to someone and just be like, hey, figure this out. Whatever makes it readable, go. Right? It would have taken 30 seconds. But there's part of me, for whatever reason, that gets stuck on doing it myself and doesn't even consider that. It doesn't enter my head as an option. And there are many other examples of this. Right? I've been to friends' houses where they love let's not name names, but well, because you'll probably get it. But like, I have a friend who really loves Topo Chico and you go to his house and he always has a refrigerated drawer full of Topo Chico. It's yeah, never empty. I love that. He never runs it's out. So, it's so ex it's extra sparkly. It's good. It, it is. Yeah. It'll definitely take all the enamel off your teeth. It's delicious. And, <laughs> and, uh, even though all the hipster Austinites have boycotted it cause it's owned by the evil empire of Coca-Cola now. So they're, you know, they're drinking, uh, Richard's rainwater and and others, which are fine, 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 sparkling water. But I just I just find the outrage pretty hilarious. But the, the point is, like, he has a team. He pays people to help him and his family with their lives in various ways, so that he can focus on things he's really good at, which does not include figuring out at the last minute. Oh shit, I'm out of Topo Chico. How am I going to make it in time to the grocery store to buy this and chew up 45 minutes of my time? I don't have many of those systems in place. And it's not because I am consciously deciding I need to save money. It's like the option doesn't even appear on my mental UI to choose. So this is something I'm trying to figure out, which leads to the book which has been recommended a number of times now, which is called Die With Zero. Have you, I've not read it. So, I've heard about this, So actually. full disclosure, I've not you know, read Chris it. Chris Hutchins sent this to me. Oh, no shit. Okay, so Bill Perkins yeah. is the author, and I should know better than to recommend something before I've read it. So I, I just want to make it super clear. I have not read this. But the book is 
die with zero, getting all you can from your money and your life. And it's written by Bill Perkins, who's a famous energy trader slash investor. And the Wall Street Journal bestseller, I'll just read a little bit of the description, which is very seductive to me because it's written by someone who has also been an operator. If this book were written by just someone who's waxing poetic without any real bona fides, bona fides, I would be skeptical. But this is someone who's actually been a real operator in the trenches. So the description is a common sense guide to living rich instead of dying rich. Imagine if by the time you died, you did everything you were told to. You worked hard, saved your money, and looked forward to financial freedom when you retired. The only thing you wasted along the way was dot, 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 your life. <laughs> Die with Zero presents a startling new and provocative philosophy as well as practical guide on how to get the most out of your money and the most out of your life. It's intended for those who place lifelong memorable experiences far ahead of simply making and accumulating money for one's so-called golden years. And it goes on. This is interesting to me. And yes. I'm hoping that it provides me with some counter-programming that will maybe help me to do more. And I have, I will say, been finding some outlets where I don't have hangups. And one is spending money on art or supporting artists. I will be doing, moving forward, quite a few experiments with artists and artwork. I did one that is actually running right now as we record. It's going to end in a few hours, but it's a competition for AI-generated or enhanced artwork. Cockpunch related or no? Cockpunch related. So they have to work. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, cockpunch related. And the stuff that has come out is beyond belief. I mean, (laughs) it is hard to wrap my head around. And I say this as someone who has quite a bit of art background and worked as an illustrator, paid a lot of bills as an illustrator for magazines and books in college. It is hard to wrap my head around what this technology will do for creative expression. And it's controversial. I have seen blowback, right? Because AI, whether it's chat GPT for text or other tools, requires training data. So where do you get that training data? If it's graphical expression, if it's if it's what we would consider visual art, they might be pulling from, say, artists on ArtStation. And right, but it's blending it so well together that you could never pick out individually which artist is pulling from. So in some sometimes, sense, in less than your prompt, you say, instead right. of in the style of Van Gogh, which most people would consider fair game, if it's in the style of fill-in-the-blank contemporary artists who makes their living selling prints in part or doing commissioned artwork, is that a net positive or a, or a net negative for them? I don't know. I'm not someone... You know who you should talk to? Who's that? You know who's fun to chat with this? is I was talking to Mike Shinoda about this, our, our mutual friend okay. from Lincoln Park. Yeah. And he was talking about how there's this list that you can sign up for that apparently will exclude you from the training data. It's like if the you do really not call out list. Of it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. He was saying that like, because in music, you can imagine this is going to be a big deal, right? You're going to say, I'm hey, already seeing stable diffusion applied to music in ways that make your head spin. And it's so early. It's not even the first inning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was asking him about like, hey, what do you think of AI when it says, hey, play me a song like it was written by Mike Shinoda. And yeah. what does that sound like, you know? And and he's it's it's a it's a big topic to to go into. How does he feel? I don't want to speak for him, but 
he was at that time, it seemed like, you know, I, I, I got the sense, and I'm just I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not, actually not even going to paraphrase. I would just say that I got the sense that it's early days. And yeah. if anything, I, I know about Mike is like he's he's definitely he embraces the future. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Like he's all Web three. He's doing NFT drops. He's doing generous stuff like with music. It's it's yep. He's awesome on that front. But at the same time, I can imagine if you're an artist in his position, which is you know just the top tier, top 1% of all musical artists out there, you kind of also want to protect who you are as an individual in your IP. For sure. And that was the kind of sense I got from him is like yeah. figuring out how to, how this is going to weave in, in, in what you're yeah. going to do in the future. So yeah, he'd be a fun one to have on and eventually talk I about should. this stuff. I should have him back on. Yeah. I, I had him on the you podcast should. like a hundred years ago. I should have him back oh, on. He's such a good dude. Yeah. Great guy. And on the AI front, I will say I have artists in my family I see how hard it is. I've been there myself. And I should point out also that I am not necessarily immune to the influence of these technologies in the sense that I have seen blog posts generated using predominantly AI with very few prompts. And things are going to change for writers in a oh big, God, in a so big way. And that will particularly apply to nonfiction writers. And I am principally a nonfiction writer. So now... And the, the fiction writers, dude. Like a lot of this, yep, these tools yep. are being done around fiction. And fiction. Fiction is going to be harder. I think fiction will be a lot harder to thread. But both will be affected. And uh, the, so there are many questions that this, this prompts pun intended. One is, what are the factors that will drive, say, reading in my case? How much of it will be being certain that you are reading something generated by a human before you're willing to commit to having an emotional response, even if the output is identical, right? Will there be some authenticity of human production that becomes important. I could see that becoming important. Interesting. Like, do you really want to cry watching a movie I mean, that was a hundred percent produced by robots? Maybe not. Maybe that is a hard line that people draw where they're like, I don't actually want to have my emotions manipulated. Yeah, but you by already machines. do today with with the the graphics, right? Those are sure. created by machines. Oh yeah. So no, it's a question of degree, right? We're already Let me ask being you a question. Yeah. What you're saying, Tim, is it, it, let's just uh, the jump forward 20, 20 years from now. You're saying there is a world where you could imagine a novel that would have some type of designation on it, you know, digitally that would say this was human written, like just to ensure. Absolutely. Oh, that's fucking crazy. That's awesome. Absolutely. I mean, imagine you have these timepieces that are one of a kind produced by the labor of one or a handful of people over a year and a half. The origin and the story matter. You could produce something, maybe even superior, with advanced robotics and software and so on. But you want, you want the physical and psychic imprint of these human, the human hands. connection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think absolutely, like just like you have a stamp for organic or you know humane certified or free trade it'd be like human generated stamp i would be Damn. surprised if that's not a thing i think it'll be you a should thing go and uh file your trademarks and patents for, uh, <laughs> whatever you need to do 
<laughs> so that'll, um, be a, that'll be a thing. Let me, let me add a few more though. So another one will be, well, actually it's, this is more philosophical. So I thought about the counter arguments and the blowback related to AI before I launched this competition. And I understood the counter arguments and I don't disagree with them. This is going to affect the competitive landscape for artists, period, full stop. Especially, especially for things like logo design, things of this yeah, type. Of course, right? driver's fucked. Yeah, like website layout and so on. The way I'm looking at it is if I, Tim, wanted to help as many artists as possible, what would my chess move be? And where I landed was we are going from the horse and the horse-drawn carriage to the car. That transition is happening whether we want it to or not. And if we own a bunch of horses, if we own a bunch of carriages, if we own the equivalent of a taxi service back in the day, that's fine, but the technology is going to change. So if you want to be in a competitive position, if you want to have advantages, you need to be on the front end of learning about these technologies, which is yeah. part of the reason why I wanted to do this competition, to say, hey guys, you can make this work for you in a lot of ways, but you gotta be on the early end. You just have to. There's a couple of things that I, I think are important to point out here in, in that, to me, this just represents another leap forward in technology um, Almost the way I would say the the closest parallel I have to this is probably the graphical user interface that was done by you know the Mac and and Netscape and, and, for, yeah, for web browser. Well, just well, imagine we you were an artist back in the day, and to draw a circle meant you had to sit down and try and draw a circle, right? Yeah. And now yeah, in you Photoshop, a you can yeah. You can yeah, exactly. You need a compass, and like now in God, Photoshop, I'm so you can literally old. say so fucking old, right? It's incredible. I love that you pulled the, the compass uh, reference. It's, it's great. But but now you can you can literally oh, pencil's too um, short. I'm getting a wobbly circle. Let me sharpen that thing. Right, <laughs> right. So those days are gone, and 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 that's okay. And and no, I'm sure there was some artists that were like, you know, fuck Photoshop for making that perfect circle. <laughs> like I used yeah. to have to hand draw those, you know, and like that's kind of what we're going through today with this next jump, it's like, there's going to be, it's going to be tough for a few years. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel not right. And, and then finally we'll, we'll understand what the tool actually is, you know? And also I will just say, if you're early, you can learn how to use the tools rather than be abused yes. by the adoption of the tools. It's super important. Yes. If you learn early, holy shit, you have tremendous advantage. So learn early, start experimenting. Now I'll give you another prediction. I was thinking about this. Imagine if you will, I feel like Dan Carlin with hardcore history. Imagine if you will, general Subadai. No, let me come back. So imagine, <laughs> imagine that you have a book, you have a nonfiction book. It's a biography of a contemporary figure, Teddy Roosevelt, whatever. Like Theodore, I think it's uh, Theodore Rex, I think is this multi-volume biography that I've been meaning to read forever. And I just keep putting it off because it's, it's so long. And I've heard it's amazing, but I haven't been willing to commit. It's just too long. 
I think there will be a time, probably in the next year, wouldn't surprise me, within the next year, I would imagine for books that are well-reviewed, have a lot of coverage, and are contemporary, meaning within the last hundred years, I will be able to say something along the lines of, with a prompt interface to stable diffusion or any number of other tools. And I think a lot of these tools will get combined into Mm -hmm. user interfaces where the mechanics, the underlying mechanics are invisible. Oh my God, dude, wait, pause for one second. Okay. Can I get this little slip something in real quick? Yeah, 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 of course. I think it's, there is a service you have to try. I I don't know if you remember our buddy Addison Kowalski. Uh He created prompthunt.com. Ooh, I like it. And it actually is, it's, it's, it's taking exactly what you said where, Right now, it's, it's it's fifty words to create this prompt, this perfect oh, like AI. That's and cool. He, and he's Looking making at it. themes around it, and it's Genius. really it's really really cool. Okay, yeah. So that's this, exactly what you're talking about. This will do well. Yeah, if it's executed well, prompthunt.com yes. will do well uh, because the magic is in the prompt. It's kind of exactly. like being a magician with the spell. Yes. I mean, you have that's to what get, they realized. You yes. have to get the incantation right, and if you don't, zero. You come up empty-handed, or you get some fucking mongrel that's right monstrosity side note really quickly rhinoskinsolutions.com is what i was referring to earlier the dry spray and the mikey's tip juice sounds <laughs> porno is what i have so there you go but wait, wait, uh, wait, wait what are you talking about you're talking about the hand stuff yeah the the antiperspirant for the hands that helped that was a big callback that was, it was that a was, big callback deep back this okay is, so let me do is, one more then one more quick callback. Side note: This is the last one. I promise. For all those that were, were we talked about Tim. You mentioned the book "Die with Zero. Our friend Chris Hutchins. The reason I said that he had mentioned it to me, he actually did a podcast with him. Oh so, no shit! Um, I know Great. you. I know you love Chris. He has a yeah. podcast called "All the Hacks." Yeah. So "All the Hacks." Uh, Die with Zero is the one to to check out. Oh, cool! Anyway, I'll but, check it I'll out. You yeah, Chris is interesting. Chris yeah. is very diligent. He is. I will say he's like a mini you. Honestly, <laughs> I want to like, give him more credit. He's, he's he's the first Chris Hutchins. He is. I thought I was OCD about prep. He's given me a run for my money. He really does a lot of preparation and is meticulous in how he approaches the details of these things. So I will check out that podcast and we'll link to it in the show notes. AI prediction, big book. Three volumes, biography. Fuck, I'm never going to listen to that. I'm never going to read that. I could put in a prompt, which is something like, create a Ken Burns-like documentary that allows me to cover the most important parts of fill-in-the-blank book or book series with, say, archival photographs or footage with a voice overlay that provides narration, which is pulling from the highlights of that book using mm. sources like quotes from Goodreads uh, and Kindle highlights. you, by the way. It's totally going to fuck me. It's totally going to fuck yeah. me. I mean, I am absolutely going to be simultaneously the beneficiary and the cockpunch recipient of artificial intelligence. Oh, it's going to rock the boat in such a significant way. But what I'm committed to doing is being a student of the craft because it is the the Model T and the car coming after horse-drawn carriages, and this is inevitable. 
it is yes. not reversible. Sadly, you know, there's no, no lobby. Back. There's no lobby I can think of. No, it's open source. It's out of the bottle. It's out of the bottle. It's out of the bottle. So there's that. Should we talk about coccidal maniacs? Yeah, let's talk about your cock punch. Let's let's have anybody so, name name that movie reference. Coccidal maniac. Do you get that reference? I don't. know. That. No, I don't. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a bar. Oh, geez, I'm older than you are. Give me a break. Look at those white whiskers you got over there, Mr. Sea Otter. Oh, um, so. oh fuck you. <laughs> at least I have hair, biatch. Like yeah, hair yeah, 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 that's true. You do have, you do have a nice <laughs> Los Angeles slick going with that black hair. <laughs> what the fuck was I just talking about? Oh, yeah, Cox Maniac. Very important film reference. This is a reference... It takes place in a bar scene in the Winchester in Shaun of the Dead. S H A U N. Shaun, oh, of, the Shaun of the Dead. One of the greatest of all time. I watched it several hundred times as background when I was writing the four hour work week. Little known fact. That's awesome. Okay. You have gray hairs yet or no? Oh my God. I'm covered in gray hairs, man. Yeah. I was fortunate slash unfortunate to lose my hair before my hair went gray on my head, but oh, chest hair. Beard hair, salt and pepper, mania. Absolutely. Do you get the uh, the grays? <laughs> like the, you, the, 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 the that's grays, depressing. The, the grays down under? Of course I've had a couple do. down there. Of course it, I do. Not, How would you have anybody who's like, yeah, I have gray in my beard and gray in my chest, but my my pubes <laughs> are like the mane of black stallion? Listen, Give me a fucking break. That's bullshit. No, I swear. I only have had like two and it's it's depressing. It's depressing because you trim them real quick because you're going to get them out of there. But like, oh, I gave up on that. Did you? You're just full gray. You're Santa down there. I'm, just like, I'm, like, down there. I'm like Adam Gazali's beard on my balls. Oh my God. <laughs> you're welcome, Adam. Please, please, yes, leave that in. Uh, oh my God. One of the greatest neuroscientists of the modern age. Of our age. You basically just call him the ball sack. I love it. All right. So, Cock Punch, how's, how's NFT land been for so, you? So, well, let me ask you, you this. You got any blowback? Oh, I'm happy to talk about all of it. Uh, I, I will say just to just to preface the whole thing, I am still having so much fun. There was good. There was like a death valley of anger and like the trough of sorrow for sure. Yeah, the, the taint of sorrow. It's like you have to travel taint, through. The taint of sorrow was uh, sorrowful. So I'm not going to downplay that. We can talk about it. But what yeah. did you expect was going to happen? Let me let me start there because you've. You've been through this rodeo mm. multiple times. Honestly, now. Tim, I, I kind of knew you were fucked. I would have said something <laughs> if I thought it was career career ending for you. Yeah, and I, I didn't think that. What I thought was that I told Daria this actually, my wife this. I said, you know, I'm glad that Tim has enough money to not give a fuck because it is he's having fun, and all you can ask for anyone. Yeah, I think about this with my kids a lot at the end of the day, because like Daria is an academic and she, you know, got her PhD in neuroscience <laughs> and I clearly am not. I'm a college dropout. And at the end of the day, what I want for my children is them for to find their life's work and their did fun you, in life. Did you like think them for to find? What? <laughs> Do you say did them for that to find? <laughs> that was an amazing sentence. For them sense. to find. For, for them, them to find. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I think you yeah, threw in an I, extra I, word or two. Go again. Okay. I probably did. I'm sure. I'm, I'm like deep into this bottle of fantastic wine, which I will say is the mascot. Um, so 
<laughs> All jokes aside, um, I love when I see Tim having a good time because yeah. Tim, I, I've known you for a long time, man, and I know that you're you're a very interesting cat, and in that you're like both insanely playful but insanely serious at the same yeah. time. And you have these two sides of your life that you just like you know sometimes are at odds with each other. And 100%. anytime I can see playful Tim come out. I'm just like, I'm happy. I'm a happy person because I love yeah. to see you happy. Yeah. And, and Thanks, if this man. is th that for you, it's, it's, it makes me happy. So that's great. Well, what's, what's also a timing hilarity in all of this is that as I'm about to go into this huge experiment that I've been working on forever, and Kevin's my Sherpa, right? Kevin's like, he, oh, Jesus. He, no, hold Put on. Put Brendan in there too. No, well, no, no, okay. I'm going to give Brendan credit where credit is due. But, but you got me interested in, uh, along with Naval and other people, interested in Web3. You led me to my first, actually, rewind the clock. You led me to my first crypto purchases in late 2012, early 2013, somewhere in that range. You have introduced me to a lot of very important technological innovations. You also walked me through as my MetaMask tech support, <laughs> my first NFT purchase. And I believe I have a shirt that says that, by the way, MetaMask, <laughs> yeah, MetaMask tech support. Tech support. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and VIP, white glove tech support. And, exactly. And then I'm getting ready. The launch is coming. Holy shit, I'm nervous. People Thank on God. your team are Retreat. helping me. And then Kevin's like, I'm going on a silent meditation retreat for seven days. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin disappears, but let me catch you up. So pre-ment, Brendan Mulligan, I have to give him a lot of credit. We've both known him for a long time. He Good human. He's a great human. He gives yes. a shit. He cares about quality. He is very thoughtful. He and his team, I want to give his team credit too. He and his team executed flawlessly they were so detail oriented which of course i appreciate so don't forget about my team no we your team was amazing hold you. on hold on hold on i'm just you mentioned brendan so i'm mentioning brendan first so brendan executed so well and his team prototyping the mint pages as a potential offering through pre-mint incredible so i just want to give a thanks there i'll also give a thanks of course to your entire team, the sort of divergence super squad that was that was absorbed, was eaten, brought onto the island of proof by KK Roro, Kev Kev, Rose Rose. And Roro. <laughs> Is that a new one? That's a new one. You sounded like the South Park guys doing some of their voiceovers. <laughs> anyway, some people will get that. And the the divergence team also, world class. I mean, good job, by the way. I mean, I'm just it, glad you had a great mint, man. Everything went fine. You sold out. Everything like, went great. Excited. It sold out. We, I think, managed it very well. People get pissed no matter what, but I think we managed it as well and planned it as well as we possibly could have. You know how much I agonized over this. I mean, I went, I held on to multiple variables as undefined until the the eleventh hour because I really wanted to 
try to satisfy as many people as possible with that. It is not possible to make everyone happy, especially in Web3, especially in NFTs. <laughs> but the, the mint went off without a hitch. And then the reveal drops a few days later. Oh, let me back up and just say thank you to everyone who participated in the primary sale because it raised 1.8 or so million dollars for the Saisei Foundation. All of those funds have already been wired to the Saisei Foundation. That happened within, I want to say, 48 hours, 72 hours. And money is already being distributed to projects. So this is not a foundation that sits on funds. Those funds are going to immediate use. And I'll be, I'll be sharing more about that. And the uses, for people who don't know, they can find Saisei Foundation at S-A-I-S-E-I, foundation.org. Saisei means rebirth in Japanese. Has funded and continues to fund critical early stage research related to treating conditions like treatment-resistant depression, complex PTSD, so-called intractable conditions that effectively fail with our first-line treatments currently. And a lot of that is psychedelic-assisted therapy-related, but not all of it. I personally and Saisei Foundation have been involved in funding Mr. White Pubes himself. God, he's going to love that. Uh, Dr. Adam Ghazali and his amazing work at Neuroscape. I'm sorry, Adam. We had to do it. Uh, it's but, okay, Adam. but but it's he true, is. Though. I mean, he's such a superstar. You can get away with it, right? Like that guy is yeah. a that guy is an absolute top tier, world class scientist who knows how to navigate all of the complexities. And uh, therefore, thanks. Huge, sincere thanks to everybody who participated. It's all going to very very high leverage high-impact stuff. And then the reveal comes, right? And yeah. the reveal comes, the art comes out. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I still stand by the art. I stand by it. One thing that happened that I did not anticipate at all is that a few things. I will point out that I'm paying attention to feedback. I don't pay attention to like, you suck balls, man. Fuck you. I don't pay attention to that. And I'll block you if you do that. But I do pay attention to valid feedback, and there's a lot of valid feedback. For instance, because this project is not a PFP project, it is not a profile pick project, even though PFP stands for proof for picture, I think, or picture for proof. No, so profile photo no, uh, project. No, it yeah. does not. It does what? not. It stands, no, it, for, it stands for picture for proof. Look it up. Ended up being co-opted into profile pick. There's no F in profile pick project. So proof it, and Profile, but Jesus, of course you would know the technical shit. It anyway. just means like, show me your face on the fucking Twitter. <laughs> well, like, that's what it means now. I'm just, I just wanted to throw a monkey wrench into things for a second because I know you're deep in the wine. So I wanted to stumble things. Uh, the point being, because it wasn't a profile pick, and I tried to explain this is an elf, right? It's an emergent long fiction right. project. And to explain that, it didn't fit neatly into any category no. that people could absorb in a millisecond. For that reason, when the art was displayed full body, it was actually, I think, confusing to some people, even though I'd explained they would be full body. And furthermore, the resolution was ratcheted really far down to be a unique file type that allows OpenSea, in this case, the ability to monitor for counterfeits. So the function mm. is really important. The function is super important. They can flag and remove counterfeits and imitations and scams 
by utilizing this unique file type. But what it did is it ratcheted down, and I should give a huge thanks to the OpenSea team. They were outstanding in helping with this project in a million different ways. So I want to give them full credit where credit is due. And also the fact that this file type, which is incredibly high utility and important for the platform and for projects, because immediately had dozens of scams, just as Moonbirds did. <laughs> there, are a lot, there are a lot of fly-by-night grifters in this oh, space. Sure. And anywhere there's anonymity, you're going to run into this. But once you add money to the mix, shit gets crazy very quickly. So that was a good thing, right? In the sense that that file type allowed us to contend with and prevent, or I shouldn't say prevent, but minimize confusion in the marketplace. The side effect of that, though, is that the resolution was quite low. And as a result, people were not able to see a lot of the detail of the artwork, especially because it was full body. And we addressed that later by providing a token ID lookup where people could say, hey, I own Legend of Cockpunch number 234. Let me go to cockpunch.com slash PFP, put in my number. I get a high resolution image. I also get a PFP camera angle from within Blender for this character. Oh, cool. Yeah, which has been super fun. And for so, th- will that, wait, one, one question there. So if I put in my number, will that give me a cropped version of the head so I can use this? Exactly. Exactly. It'll give the best. Oh, that's cool crop version of the head and also the best camera angle from within Blender, which is 3D modeling software. And then what I did, because I had created these AI blended oil paintings of some of these characters for each of the houses. So there are eight primary houses in this world, much like Game of Thrones. And I created what you might consider even like a portrait painting equivalent of each of these iconic houses. And I did that by using Night Cafe. I think it's also called Night Studio, which largely uses Stable Diffusion, but also Dolly 2 and a few others to blend the original artwork with Van Gogh's self-portrait. And Oh, it's amazing. And How did I see this? Where did, well, that's probably when I was on my meditation retreat. What's, yeah, it was. Where, where do I see this at? So if you go to, if you go to and we can talk about Twitter because I know that's might be on the docket. We should talk about it actually. If you go to Twitter yeah. and then say, if you go to cockpunch, uh, not not slash cockpunch. If you go to, I'm just waiting on my browser to respond. Wow, is my browser slow or is Twitter really slow right now? Might be Twitter, uh, or it could be that my account is suspended for the twelfth time. That's been happening a lot. Elon, Elon's blocking you <laughs> elon's elon hates cock punches okay i'm having trouble getting twitter to display but if you go to twitter.com slouch 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 happy new year happy new year if you go to twitter.com slouch house slouch <laughs> We need t-shirts for, for just for the random show to say slouch. Slouch. Hashtag slouch. Uh, slouch house hallux, like H-A-L-L-U-X. If it, it, maybe it'll pop up for you. Okay, I went to slash H-A-L-L-U-X. Okay. On Twitter? Twitter? Twitter.com slash house hallux. So oh. house okay. H-A-L-L-U-X. Because if you just do hallux, it's like a guy's toes on there. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, there we go. Okay. 
All right. So do you see what I'm talking about? You see sort of. Yes. Okay. So oh, that's beautiful. That's isn't amazing. That, isn't that gorgeous? And oh, it's so good. It's so good. So if people go to twitter.com slash house Halix, house Halix is one of the eight greater houses. And each of these houses has its background coming out on the Cockpunch podcast, which by the way, you were gone for this, but debuted at number one in fiction across all of Apple podcasts, ended up at top 50 or top 60 across all of Apple podcasts. And people are now listening to these and getting really into it. People are enjoying it. And particularly once I made the, and my team, I should give them credit, the higher res full body images and PFPs available, I put out a video on YouTube which showed people how to convert their PFP into this Van Gogh self-portrait styled oil painting. And people have been having a blast. They've been having so much fun. And uh, things have gone pretty bananas. There is a lot of creativity. More cock punches. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of creativity being unleashed. And this was the hope. And hence the description of the project as emergent long fiction. Emergent. Not just emergent from me, but emergent from the audience. So for instance, there is this unofficial Discord. I said from the outset I wasn't going to make a Discord because everybody told me Discord is where all the evil comes out. <laughs> and I have, however, ended up chancing upon this unofficial Discord where they had, I might have sent this to you and Brendan via text, they had AI-driven cockfights with different cockpunch characters on this Discord, and I have never seen anything like this. It was so funny that I was sweating through my clothing. I mean, it was beyond hilarious. Like and rock what, climbing, yeah. Yeah, it was like rock climbing, but, but a lot more hilarious. And what they did, it was genius. So they had people opt in to competing. So let's say they have brackets, like an NCAA tournament, and each character would feed in their name and their traits. So the traits and attributes that you would find on, say, OpenSea. And then the moderator, who was also the commentator, kind of like a sports commentator, would feed this into ChatGPT and he would add a prompt like, describe an epic battle between or among and list all these characters with their traits. And then ChatGPT would spit out this fight scene. And he then, on Discord in a voice channel, would read this for everybody as it's happening, as it's being generated. So there's a live sports element to it. There was somebody else in the channel who, because a bunch of these characters, especially from the Amekawa, have an instrument, which is called a shamisen, which is a traditional Japanese instrument. Somehow, he managed to pull up this super aggressive traditional shamisen music. <laughs> so you have this commentator who's reading the live fights, like the play-by-play, -play, like a boxing match from the 1950s, while this crazy Japanese music is playing. And simultaneously, the text thread is going crazy with all of these people commenting and throwing in memes. It was beyond hilarious. Dude, and so crazy. So exciting and fucking fun. It was so fun. And I had nothing to do with it. I mean, look, I provided a few of the raw materials, perhaps, in the form of a funny name, some artwork, the attributes and the naming of the attributes, 
by the way, not accidental, if people look at the attributes, they have not paid, most people have not paid enough attention to the naming of the weapons and the attributes. I spent at least 10 hours just on naming. So that will become more relevant later. But the way that this is unfolding has been super fun. It's been super fun. There was a period of time where I was just like, fuck all these NFT traders, fuck these people. I was so annoyed because there was so much unnecessary spinning of conspiracy theories like Tim's going to send all the money to his own charity and buy a Lamborghini and run off to Bermuda. This whole thing's a scam. It's a rug pull. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I put everything in the FAQ. I told you all of the conditions, all of the objectives. Stop it. Just fucking stop it. But there is, I think, I would imagine you tell me, but inevitably this cycle of like over exuberance, as soon as the floor price drops by 0.001 ETH, like 10% of the people lose their fucking minds and become children. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is the best advice I can give you, Tim, is that having been here in my wise old age of uh, six months longer than you have, (laughs) (laughs) which is like 10 years in NFT. Right. Exactly. I can tell you that what happens is there are a lot of flippers that come in, obviously that are looking like, how can I two or three X this in, in two minutes? Right. Yeah. And then eventually you'll realize, and it's really cool that we're starting to see this happen in Moonbirds where a lot of that is kind of like that chatter has gone away and it's more about the long-term holders that understand that like, you know, great projects, great visions, great businesses, they're not built over six months. Yeah, they take time. The next decade, right? And so if we're going to do that, like they, 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 they're signing up and believing in us as builders over the long term. And I think that's, that's where you'll get to is you'll get to people that are like, oh, I love the podcast. I love the lore. I love the backstory. I love what Tim's doing here. I'm a holder for the long term. And what you'll see is your percent listed will drop over time, right? And that will be because you're getting in just more of the long-term holders that believe in the, the project of long, over, over the next decade, which is very exciting. Yeah. And I already see that happening with your collection today, which is great. Yeah. The one thing I will say that was is amazing is you had one of your golden cocks which is your kind of signature cock, uh, go for 55 ETH, which it's is wild. just insane. 55.550 yeah. ETH is one of what it, your your cocks went for. And it has the the gold balls attribute. It's full um, gold. That is full gold. Full gold. Well, copper I, too, right? It might be copper. It might be copper. Yeah, there's there are a couple yeah. of different options. There's, let's see here. There's gold pewter, I believe, which is the, the silver equivalent, but I thought pewter was much cooler. And then copper, because I love copper. That's a long story, but I, I really have an affinity for copper. There are a bunch of metals I have affinities for. Copper is one. One question I have for you is you have an attribute called the circle of eight, but yes, yes. my Zen hat on says that's, a, that's an Enso. So is it an Enso or no? An Enso. Describe for the audience what an Enso is. It's just like the, the Japanese uh, symbol for, like you can look up, uh, go, go and type in E-N-S-O, Enso, into Google Images, and you'll see it's like the, you know, it's the standard Zen circle. So look at, a single can, can you pull up one of those characters as you're looking at them? Yeah, I have them up right now. Okay, yeah. look at the shirt. What's on the shirt? Can you see what's on it? 
it's green. Hold on, let me get back to it. Yeah, it's it's a green shirt, and it's got the single. Oh, there's a dragon. So it's a it's a it's a circle. It's a dragon eating its own tail. Okay, my an, bad. I it, thought it was more of the single stroke like uh, Zen symbol. You know, what well, you know what I'm talking about, right? It may not be unrelated. It's to not that. too too it far. May, off. Oh, it, interesting. It may not be unrelated. That is a dragon eating its own tail. Yes. In what is called an Ouroboros. And there are a lot of kind of hyper proud liberal arts folks who use this word or mythological reference in snarky (laughs) magazine articles, but they don't actually have a full understanding of the mythological significance and variation on this this concept of the Ouroboros. So people can look into it. Uh, But you were going to ask about them. I will say that I think the Circle of Eight are overlooked. There's only seven of them, though. Why aren't there eight of them? There is an eighth. He's in there. He's in there somewhere. He's not tagged to Circles of Eight, though. He is not. And it could be a she. He is not. He is not. No, it can't be a she because they're all cocks. But yes. (laughs) (laughs) So there's not a single ballless one out of all of them. They're all. There's not a single what? Ballless one? You said they're all. Yeah, yeah, they're all cocks. Like they're all they're all male. It's, it's cock bunch. Yes, Gentilia. they're all they're all they're all they're all, all cocks. <laughs> You're like uh, Kevin. The uh, uh, maybe the title may have tipped you off. Uh, it's, it's actually cock punch. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very much. But that is one of the outstanding mysteries in the realm of Varlata, yes. which, as That's described actually... by the seventh scribe in the first episode of the podcast, is there are several. Very significant, outstanding questions. And one is, where are the women? We assume right. we well, got here by birth. Is this if season we did, two for you? Must... Question mark, question mark, question mark. Ooh, interesting. Lady bunch. <laughs> or, I, could, I could go way worse, but I'm not going to say. Cutslap.com. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You're definitely going to bleep that one out. <laughs> no, I just love saying that because I know that some aspirational squatter is going to go out and buy Cutslap right. everything. He'd be like, you didn't get Cutslap.eth. Now you can buy it from me for $20,000. And I'll be like, enjoy that one. I'm never going to use it. Yeah. I have a lot of ideas. I'm not committing to a decade of building X, Y, or Z. I've made this clear from the outset. I'm going to do this as long as it's energy feeding, which I think is part of the reason why a lot of traders have ditched, which I'm thrilled about. And not to say that traders are trivial. They provide liquidity and a really important function, and I understand why they do what they do. But as somebody pointed out on Twitter, who is a holder of one of these cockpunch NFTs, they said, with every secondary transaction, you are getting closer to the community that you want. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that's that, and I was true. like, fuck, that's true. And I've seen that, even though it's Damn, only did you been... you tweet that out? Because that's some sage shit I need to tweet out. It wasn't mine, it was somebody else. I, I apologize that I can't remember the proper attribution, but it's like, with every secondary sale, you are getting closer to the community that you want. And it's so true when you think about it. Even if I look at the last... When did this even happen? God, it seems like six months since I launched, but it's only been <laughs> two <Three> weeks. weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I will say, <laughs> oh man, when I talk to people who have been deep in the trenches with NFTs for like six months, a year, two years, 
it is like looking at a before and after photo of Obama when he got elected and four years yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, just like people, he's like people dead are to the world. worn down. They've got the thousand yard stare. Like yeah. all, their black hair is all gone gray. I'm like, holy shit, you really gotta yeah, pace yourself. All this shit's gray. Oh my yeah. god. It's so intense. Well, I'm I'm excited for you, man. I think this is a, a fun creative chapter for you. And I yeah. love that you're not saying this is my next great book. This is my next, it's just a fun outlet, right? Like it's, it's a fun it's, outlet, but I want to rewind and say something, echo something that you said, and we hadn't had that much booze. This was in Santa Monica. And I don't know if we were recording, but I was showing you some of the artwork and I was getting excited. I was explaining some of the stuff I was thinking about. And you said, and maybe you were joking. You can tell me, but you're like, this might be the biggest thing that you've done. And yeah, I don't think that's a 0% likelihood. No, I, I, I know that sounds fucking crazy, but I don't think it's 0%. I really don't. No, the reason I, I say that is because, and I, I truly did mean that when I said it, is because of one simple thing. And this is like, it, it's funny, you know, just in full transparency, a handful of friends are like, what's Tim doing? What's this cock punch thing? You know, and they come up to me because they know I know you. Yeah, yeah. And they're like wanting to know, like, is this crazy? Like, what is he gone off the deep end? Of what? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, the, my answer is always very succinct and and it's on point. And then I say, you don't understand. Like, Tim is a creativity factory. And if you point that in the right direction, look at those triceps, by the way. Yo, look at those triceps. In the video. Oh, God, look at that forearm and those triceps. Um, if you point that in the right direction, you're going to have just something that could turn into a franchise and something that is much bigger than you're even imagining. Oftentimes, we see this in technology all the time, whether it be Twitter or Instagram or you name it, I can probably point to 15 companies that everyone thought when they launched that it was a fun little fad. Yep, And then it snowballs into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, it would not shock me if five years from now, and I know you're not saying this, this is me saying this, but you're in some major motion picture, crazy shit, multi like print book like world where this blows up into something much bigger. And so when I looked at that, I said, wow, this is, this is you, if you take your nonfiction world and move it to fiction, this yeah. is your creativity shifting to that fiction world, which I want to watch. I want to watch every chapter of that, you know? Yeah. So I'm excited for you. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's... I'm having a lot of or fun. Or it could be nothing. Or it could be that's, nothing, that's, right? Like, but so, that, that's the best part. It is. is you haven't promised that this is the future. You're saying, I'm going to have a great time, yeah. and let's see what happens. I have the emergency exit. If I get sick of it, right. I'm out. And... What, what you described the floor goes to zero. <laughs> maybe I don't think that's inevitable. I do not think that's inevitable because my goal is to create something that can perpetuate without me. That's always the objective, right? I, when's the last time I gave an interview for the four hour work week? 10 years ago, <laughs> right? Still one of the top books on Amazon. And right. that's a great point. so my intention, and here's the thing, there's a cohesion and a shared incentive and an alignment with NFTs that does not quite exist with books. And that's very interesting to me. So I'm studying this very deeply. 
having a lot of conversations. I could ditch in a month if I deal with like a thousand consecutive dick faces on the internet, maybe. But so far, it's been pretty easy relative to all the things that I've had to contend with over the last, let's say, decade. It's been pretty easy to discard that just because the nonsense is clearly nonsense. And the people spouting nonsense are generally spouting that nonsense to other people who are spouting nonsense. And even in two weeks, just being able to withstand the heat in the kitchen and staying in the kitchen. Oh, then you know you're good. A lot of that has resolved itself already. It's going to calm down. Exactly. In 10 days, it's already calmed down. And so for me, this is when the interesting stuff starts. Right. This is when things start to get interesting. When I have a critical mass of people, as evidenced by this unofficial discord and these competitions, which were unbelievably entertaining. I mean, I think this could get to a point where people pay just to be a spectator at these competitions. I know that's a strong statement, but I mean, the, look at esports, man. That's freaking huge. It blew my mind. So I give everyone is, who did that a lot of credit. I was flabbergasted. It was truly one of the greater holy shit moments I've had in the last several years. So if that is what's happening within two weeks, yeah. oh my holy God. shit. And I'm excited. I'm having fun. And also, you think about nonfiction and all of the... If you're a responsible nonfiction writer who is engaging in creative nonfiction, but within the broad category of creative, you need to adhere to a certain factual basis that is verifiable. When you remove those limiters and you enter the world of fiction, which requires, if you're going to do it well, I think some degree of consistency... And you need to ensure that storylines mesh to some degree. But when you remove some of the common constraints of nonfiction, holy moly, what I have experienced is that you tap a wellspring of creativity that is enormous, that just does not exist when you're writing fact-based, I don't want to call it literature, but when you are, when you are trying to produce fact-based writing. And... I'm having fun, man. I'm having so much fun. And it, and it opens the door to so many things, right? I was talking to somebody on my team today and I was saying, you know, I've never, ever wanted to sell Tim Ferriss branded shit. Like the idea of somebody walking around with like a Tim Ferriss show t-shirt with my fucking face I, on I, it, like that makes me want to I mean, puke. I still, well, I mean, I have your thong, the limited edition one you did. <laughs> the limited great. edition thong with my face right on the mm. balls. That's true. You did yeah, get the one of fantastic. one. That is that is my, the first one of one I produced. That was so nice of you. <laughs> yeah, you're you welcome. Know? Happy anniversary. Yeah. Uh, but the, the idea of having my face on, say, a t-shirt just always made me puke a little in my mouth. Yeah, that isn't... Not, never, feel, just right? never want, just never want to do it. But people do that stuff, right? And I don't. Who does their face on well, a T-shirt? Uh, I'm not gonna. Name I can names. see your logo. Well, like even just Tim Ferriss on a shirt feels weird to me. So it's just too narcissistic. I like. I'm sure I'm a narcissist, but I'm not that narcissistic. I just couldn't get there. But the idea of having a small subculture of people who, at some point, might walk around with a cock punch logo on their shirt 
probably without cockpunch on it, right? That would be two in your face. Yeah. But like a logo on it where anyone who sees it knows. And yeah. that can be like the Fight Club wink. That's well, fun. For sure. That's super fun. And I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but it's fun for me to imagine that being a possibility. So suddenly, all of these handcuffs that I'd placed on myself for good reasons around what I could or couldn't do are gone. They're completely gone. It's called yeah. cock punch for fuck's sake. Like I can do whatever yeah, yeah. I want. <laughs> you know, it's fun. It's fun. I'm really I excited about it. I have one awkward question for you and it just popped in my mind as a consumer of your podcast, but n something you may not agree to divulge in which we can cut it out. <laughs> okay. But there was a point here a few minutes ago where you said the four-hour work week is still on the New York Times best-selling list. No, I right? didn't say that. I said it's still one of oh, the top-selling books on Amazon. Top-selling books. Okay. Yeah. Top-selling books on Amazon. Yeah, you're right. Because those are different things. I'm sure there's a lot of people. And, and Tim, don't, don't take this as like I'm being... Oh, if you're willing to divulge, <laughs> a lot of people would be curious... What did you receive for the signing bonus to do that book? Because it was your first big book. Oh, for our work week? Yeah. Yeah. And then what does it look like over time? And then like, yep. what do you make now on that yep. book? Like per year? Like, can you talk about that? Like, yeah, I can talk about forget it. Forget the ego stuff. And I think it's really interesting, right? I'll talk about it. I'm happy to, I'm happy yeah. to talk about it. Uh, and these are not going to be, well, in the case of the ongoing annual stuff, I'm not going to have an exact number, but I can give you an idea. So, yeah, yeah, just rough, rough yeah, estimates. Yeah, rough estimates. So a few things on the book publishing side. And I may have to take a pee break because after the ketones and tequila yeah, we can, and, we and can soda also water. stop here in a minute. We're like no, two hours I'm, in I'm having something. fun. I'm happy to go. This is, we're two hours, 24 minutes in. But this is, this, uh, this is a good episode. We're, we're covering a lot. My advance for the four-hour work week, which was paid yeah. out in four to six installments, I want to say, I don't recall exactly, over probably a year and a half was $75,000, okay. if I remember correctly, okay? Your first book, you, yeah. you, you approached is, them the, or they the, approached you or how did this? Well, the way it happened is a long story. I ended up finding a very good editor named Stephen Hanselman, who had just become an agent. He was untested largely as an agent, but I trusted his taste and we hit it off. He then took the book and pitched it to a bunch of editors, 27 or 29 of which rejected it, in some cases, rudely, really rudely, ultimately sold it on one of our last meetings in person in New York City with editors and publishers. And Crown took a risk at the time, Crown within Random House. Now I think it's Harmony Books. The publishing world has a lot of shuffling constantly, so it's hard to keep track. But I believe, and the person who gave the go-ahead was Steve Ross at the time. I think it was Steve Ross. I think I'm getting his first name right. At Then at Crown, so thank you, Steve. And it was 75K paid out over probably a year or a year and a half. Now that's an advance, right? So they're saying if you sell that many books, you have to break that first, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're prepaying you for a certain right. number of books. And if you exceed it, then you get the royalty. And the royalty per copy for hardcover is going to be anywhere between 10% and 15% of what cover, does that mean of cover net, net. price. Well, a couple the, bucks? A couple bucks. 
right? So if it's, if it's, let's just say it's 20 bucks and let's make it, it's not going to be 10%. So it'll be, it'd be, be, let's just call it 15%. That'd be $3 a book. From that $3 though, keep in mind, you got to pay taxes and you also have to beforehand pay your agent, which is generally going to be 15%. And then mm. anything else that comes out of it. Okay. So, right. So I was, you sold millions of copies. I sold millions of copies. It took time. It did not flash boil as quickly as, say, Atomic Habits or as quickly as The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. It did not flash boil as quickly as either of those books. It took some time. It took some time. It came out in April of 2007. It did not hit number one New York Times, which it did first on the monthly business list until I want to say August. It took some time. The initial print run was 10,000 copies and it sold out and then nobody could buy the book anywhere. <laughs> wow. Which is, a, which is a quality problem, but it's actually a significant problem. And that is the advanced story, or at least the numbers on the advance. So what's your yearly look like at this point? Like, is it like 50 grand or? Well, let me, that book? let me, uh, you know, I asked this recently. Let me, let me try to pull up my text thread. I was trying to come up with this number recently. So, uh, give me just, just a like second. a rough estimate's fine too. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I just don't want to. I don't. I'm very. You know how particular I, I am. I don't want to misrepresent anything. So, but it's sub 100k. Is that right? Or more? You're probably selling over 100,000 copies a year. Maybe 100 to 150k. Okay. I mean, I've written and published now five books that were number one New York Times and or. Wall Street Journal. And many yeah. of them stuck for a very long time. You know, I'm looking at a text thread with my agent and he sent a photo, which is pretty fun, with four hour work week on the trending rack at Barnes and Noble after 15 Amazing. years. After 15 years. Now Holy on this shit. rack, you have Think and Grow Rich, which has been around for decades. You have the intelligent investor, Benjamin Grant, been around yeah. for decades. Four Hour Work Week, The Millionaire Next Door, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, yeah, exactly. Eggs, I was of course, say, that of one's course. always up there. Power of Positive yeah. Thinking. I'm just going to name a few because why not? Trust and Inspire. I'm not familiar. Tribe of Mentors. So I've got two on this rack. Atomic Damn. Habits, Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life, The 10X Rule, and a number of others. So on the trending rack, I'm actually in good longevity company with a number of these, but 15 yeah. years afterwards, it's still you're you're like trending. a musical artist at this point. Like it's basically like you know if you're insert any like Queen or Michael Jackson or whatever. Like there's just ongoing royalties that just trickle in over time because you're that's you, right. You've hit that point. It, it's it's evergreen content. It's evergreen by design, and I'm looking at this here. So amazing. I would say all of my books on an annual basis. I mean, it, these are not the most successful books of all time. This is not Harry Potter, but this is probably top 1% in terms of earnings and track record for nonfiction books. And my total royalties pre-tax would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. And I don't know that the exact on that. Campbell soup and Denny Moore beef stew. It buys a lot of Campbell soup, but but let's just take it as an as an example. I mean, I have put many 
hundreds of thousands of dollars into the development of Cockpunch. And I won't bore people with all the specifics, but there's <laughs> there's a lot of money that has gone into Cockpunch. I love that's where you went with that. That's amazing. Yeah. So, no, this is just to say. You're like, I've taken all of your money from 4-Hour Work Week and poured it right back into Cockpunch, so you motherfuckers. No, this, well, I, it's I, not I so that. much a guilt trip. It's just to say, I think it's it's crazy to think about the fact that I could take almost all or all of my royalties for all of my books for decades of, years, of yeah. decades of work. Yeah. All of the proceeds that I get from that, I put into an NFT project, which doesn't highlight that an NFT project done well costs a lot of money. Although I do think it requires some it's to highlight the fact that part of my reason for engaging with web three and NFTs was the promise that artists could resurrect, in a sense, their creative powers through an ongoing royalty, which turns out this is a shocker and was a shocker to a lot of people, is not automatically baked in and guaranteed by your smart contract across all platforms. It's platform dependent. Let's be and, real. Let me yeah. give you some real talk now, Tim. Like, real this talk. Is, it's like, okay, real talk is that you've had 5,396 ETH in total volume. Yep. Your creator fee is 6.9%. Yeah. So you did, and, and I'm not, please, please, like let everyone know on this podcast, what you did, it, no one does, which is the primary sale, you give all the money to charity. Yep. Secondary sale, you're saying this is what's going to maintain the project, which I think is awesome. That's, to that's be clear, I actually said Tim might use it on Whiskey and Horrors. I said this, like right. I, I didn't even address so, what second? Given the Tim is single again, uh, the, the 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 second second piece of that may may oh, kick in. Oh so boy. we can cut that out. Uh, so, <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't ah, right. say that. That's okay. So five thousand three hundred ninety six total ETH times point zero six nine. Your creator fee is three hundred seventy two ETH. So three hundred seventy two, obviously times like let's just say ETH is at twelve hundred. That means you've you've already broken even. You've you're at four hundred forty six thousand dollars in secondary sales. Have not even recouped my costs for Cockpunch yet. But yes, your co costs are more than a half million. Yes. Wow, that's crazy. Yep. Well, and you have to pay taxes on this because this is yep. this is revenue, and, right? And so, that is not yeah. counting my time. I'm working at oh, of course. below minimum wage, given the number of hours I put into this. But if we discount that, well, if we're just considering hours for contractors the costs, which I view as, as an investment for artists, for my team members who are allocating a significant portion of, let's just say their annual salary to these things. I do not think I have yet broken even, and I'm totally I think you're gonna be okay. fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. I am totally fine. You're going to break even, dude. I'm not worried. There's no doubt. I'm not worried. Yeah, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. As the storyline matures, the 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 lore matures, your commitment matures. Like it, there's no doubt, that, dude. Well, I won't even say what other projects I can compare these against, but like you, you are the project's so doing well. More. Yeah, the project's, yeah, the project's doing, well. doing well. Yeah, the project's yeah. doing well, and and what's most exciting to me is the trend that I am seeing and the coalescing of a community of people who are actually excited about it. And thoughtfully yeah. excited about it. They're not just drunk on cockpunch fumes. <laughs> they're actually thinking about the lore. They're tracking the lore. They're tracking yeah. some of the details that a lot of folks have missed. And yeah. they're paying attention. And they're excited about it. They're having fun with it, which is the whole fucking Dude, point. This is exactly what I'm most excited about the Moonbirds community and what we're doing over there is that 
we're finally getting to the point where I feel like the community is, is tipped over and said, we're in this for the long term. They're excited about what we're building. They're excited about some of the novel mechanics that we're doing on the technical side that haven't been done before or being done in different ways. And once you get there, you're in a yeah. great place as a project because you, you feel good. You feel energized to go into work and like really put in more energy into this, you know, which is yeah. what we can all kind of hope for. So I will say a couple little things to hit before we wrap things up. One thing certainly worth checking out for everyone out there, especially high risk folks. And Tim, I, I purposely put this in the rundown so that we could chat about it, but there is a mode new to iOS called Apple lockdown mode. And if you go into settings on your iPhone, you'll probably do this because I know you're paranoid like this shit. But like if you, you <laughs> enable lockdown mode, it actually disables like five very common things that you would typically allow on the iPhone. Uh, but it prevents um that's a good idea. Most of the 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 compromises that happen from like state actors like like yeah. other governments and I'm like sophisticated attackers. Yeah, protect devices against extremely rare and highly sophisticated cyber attacks. Exactly. It's things like if you get a, like a lot of payloads, meaning like the, the vulnerabilities will come over SMS, right? Or, yep. or text message. And if you get something from, say, someone that you don't know, it by default blocks them. Like things like just obvious things you should have enabled. Yep. It does cripple a few things in terms of the functionality of the iPhone. Anything else before we wrap things up? Well, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> you have a couple of bullets. Uh, <laughs> love your your spelling. Am I done with ayahuasca? I'm, assu I'm assuming that is the question. And then, That's right. And then yeah. about investing. Let's talk about those two. So real quick on the ayahuasca front, let me just preface this a, a bit in that I would consider you to be the first person I ever heard about ayahuasca. Like, let's call it like eight years ago or whatever the fuck it was, like mm -hmm. a long time ago, was from you. Yeah. And nobody was doing that shit. It was like, you had to get a proper shaman, blah, blah, Now, like Los Angeles, like, you know, uh, CVS is doing like ayahuasca <laughs> things at night. Like, like it's like everywhere. Like, yeah. What, what, oh, God. what say you, you fucked everyone and that oh, you God. created this crazy trend. And, and, <sighs> and have you found durable lasting effects from it? Like, would you still recommend it for most people or what, what's your take on that? I wouldn't recommend it for most people. I have found durable benefits and I've also found unpredictable risks. So I will say that about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I had an extended deep depressive episode for several months precipitated by two nights of consuming ayahuasca. And there are reasons for that. It's not unexplainable. It was related to a lot of the content of that experience and a certain sense of meaninglessness and nihilism that was, I think, a predictable result of the content and experience that I went through. And I think in some way, the conclusion landing in this void of meaninglessness and nihilism is justified, but that doesn't make it productive. And it was certainly not psychologically beneficial. So after that experience, I decided to take a hiatus 
from partaking. And there, there are significant, not just psychological, but in some cases, physiological risks associated with ayahuasca. You can, you can experience, especially if you're on concurrent medications like certain SSRIs, serotonin syndrome, you can have severe, severe side effects. So this is not a trivial undertaking. And I have largely in the last year, year and a half, paced down significantly any consumption of psychedelics. It's, I think that they will be an ongoing component of my life until it's game over, or at least this game over, <laughs> and I transition from this physical form, should we say. I, I do think that they will to be a cock punch that you truly are. That's right. Until we all ascend <laughs> to the Valhalla of cock punch. But <laughs> I, I do anticipate it'll be an ongoing aspect and important ritual component in my life but I have dialed back the frequency substantially. And let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you see the benefits degrade over time? In meaning that like, if you had to go back and talk to your first ayahuasca self, like, yeah. like let's call it like eight years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. 10 plus years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say 10 plus years ago. Would you say, Hey Tim, do it 10 times or do it five times or do it whatever. Like, is there, is there kind of, beneficial return the more that you do it or mm. tough question to answer i think it depends a lot on the individual it also depends on the reasons for which you are using it i would say i wouldn't have said that to myself i wouldn't have said do it 10 times and call it quits i wouldn't have said that i would have said here's what i probably would have said i would have said number one if you take this seriously the deeper you go, the more interesting it becomes. If you pursue very qualified training through people who have a proven lineage of focusing on this for hundreds of years, you can go very, very deep and it will get more interesting. I would have simultaneously said, be very cautious about how deep you go because you can get lost. If this is not your tradition, if this is not your culture, if you have not been steeped in this, if you didn't start drinking ayahuasca when you were five years old, which is when a lot of <laughs> these, let's just call them professionals, will start drinking is when they're five, six, or seven years old. Like a full dose or like just little tasters? I don't know how it's introduced. Probably it's smaller doses, but very quickly getting to full doses. Very, very quickly yeah. getting to full doses. Is it fun when you do a little little cough syrup, little like on the side, or do you have to do a full dose to get the? the, 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 the. <laughs> I've never I've never yeah. done it. You know yeah, that. Yeah, I and, do. And I will I'll, say. I'll, I'll say what? Can I say one thing, Tim? Yes. Can I say one thing? You Just can say one, two let things. me say one, one, one thing. You can say I'll three say things. One thing. If you decide to do it again this year, yeah. If you would have me, yeah, I would do it with you. Finally, oh, okay. after like ten All years. All right. All right. That's interesting. That's interesting. All right. I will not hold you to that, but that's good to know. Yeah, and I'd love to, man. It's, I, I know it's good that you know. would be a good guide. I know you'd be a good friend. And I know you'd be a good shoulder. And, you know, the, I know there's having done high, high dose um, mushrooms, I cried and wept over my dad's passing over a lot of shit that would obviously comes up. 
and you need you need a support structure, and I know yeah. you would be a fantastic friend at that. So oh, thanks. I, I, would, I would love that if you'd, if you'd, yeah. if you'd yeah. have me at some point. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. And also, the meditation training you've been doing will be instrumental. It will be incredibly, incredibly helpful. So that's good to know. Uh, and and I will say that uh, you know I'll I'll just wrap up quickly the the advice I would have given my younger self. So number one is the deeper you go, the more interesting it will become assuming that you have proper guidance from people who have a proven track record before this was fashionable of over generations mm. cultivating mm. an awareness and toolkit for interacting with these spaces. I was just gonna say one little little tidbit to that. You know, even just being out here a couple of months, I hear, hey, come to our ayahuasca little thing in the LA Hills, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it seems very commercial at this point. Yeah, and I'm like, in my head, I was always like, I'm only gonna trust him on this shit because he's got that OG, <laughs> that original shit, the, the, like the good stuff, the good, you know. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? You must feel this. You know, I'm strict. Yeah, and I'm. Very, I know you only seek out the best. Yeah, and I'm very, 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 very particular and meticulous about how I assess expertise. I think that is one of my one of my core forms of expertise is assessing expertise. I think I'm very good at it. And uh, I, I think the vast majority of people who consume these things are children playing with loaded handguns. They don't realize the risks they're taking. And the horrifying episodes generally don't get a lot of airtime. So there's a survivorship bias where people end up hearing the, the positive life-altering experiences, and then the incorrect conclusion is made that the vast majority of experiences are like that. And I have not seen any evidence to suggest that's true. There are many positive life-altering experiences, but ayahuasca specifically is a big gun. It is very powerful. And the other warning I would give, in addition to if you go deep, given that you are not native to this environment, there is a risk that you will become lost. And being lost could be an indescribably terrifying experience where the line between reality and what you might perceive as a hyper-reality in this other dimension or fabricated reality as a UI, as we perceive it, versus any type of objective truth. Things can get very, very unclear very quickly. And I don't expect anyone to understand this or even take it as reasonable that you could have that experience if you haven't been there. But take my word for it, you can get to some very, very slippery terrain. Uh, furthermore, I would say, no matter how many times you have done this, doesn't matter if it's 10, or 100 or 200, you always stand the chance of pulling a Joker card from the deck and getting your fucking ass handed to you in a very serious way that has you know, lasting. I don't do it anymore. La I don't do it anymore. <laughs> that has lasting <laughs> consequences. Now, I will say, mm. just for you, Kevin, the group don't matters. Don't fly either. <laughs> <laughs> the group matters. <laughs> And I will say more so than perhaps, at least from a format, a traditional format perspective, the people in the group matter. So you are going to have, this is another reason 
or another example of where I think many people don't. Are you sane though when you're doing this? Like if well, I look over on. at you yeah. while we're doing this, you're not going to be like doing something crazy. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Tim's freaking out. Fuck, um, I'm freaking out. Yeah, gen- generally, generally not. No. Yeah. Generally, I'm. Okay. Generally, so I'm, like, I'm not I'm gonna like you to be solid ground. <laughs> well, I'm not like the exorcist, right? My head's not like spinning around while vomiting <laughs> okay. in all directions and uh, okay. speaking in tongues. Uh, things can get very strange and they almost certainly will get very strange, but I have never had the experience. Actually, I take that back. My fr- in my first few experiences, there were one or two times where I felt out of control, uh, fully out of control. And was completely dislocated from anything resembling this reality. But the generally speaking, now or in recent history, I can go through very, very, very challenging experiences. But if someone near me says, Tim, are you okay? Or Tim, how are you doing? I can reply to that in perfectly coherent English. Mm. Even if That's I amazing. even so it snaps if, you out a little bit. Even if I am, by all subjective (laughs) interpretations, completely removed from time, space, identity, I can can still respond to that, which is a developed, I think that's a cultivated skill, at least for me. But the fact of the matter remains that I could not have foreseen how violently I would be destabilized from that experience a year and a half, two years ago. And I think that was in part due to a degree of overconfidence after many rounds for a non-clinician, for a non-professional. I mean, the, the professionals drink four or five nights a week and do so for years and years and years on end. So anyone who's like, I've done ayahuasca 10 times, I understand ayahuasca. You are setting yourself up for like spiritual head kick. The reason I'm excited about this, and tell me if, if this is foolish, and, and I'm fine with you saying that, the one thing that I, I really appreciate about this practice of meditation is that there's two things. One, it's, it's Henry slaps his legs and he says, just this, just this. This is, this is the moment, just this. And like, that really snaps me back into like, this, this is the moment. And the second piece is that this idea of surrender Yep. where you have something that's facing you and you're mm-hmm. like, that's just a thought. Let's surrender back to the moment is mm-hmm. a, been a, a, a big piece of this practice. And do you think that either of those things would be helpful? hundred percent. I'll tell you how they'll okay. be helpful in my experience and how they will be a hindrance or how they can be a hindrance. So on the helpful side, in these very let's call them unusual and alternate experiences of reality in say an ayahuasca experience. And you can have nothing nights also, by the way, you get a brew that's super weak, or you just simply for whatever reason, have your body veto the experience. You can have null experiences. It's pretty wild. Uh, I have had those, they're rare, but I've had experiences where I've had three cups, which I never do three drinks and have been more sober than I am right now because I had one real drink right, or two real drinks. And I don't have a good explanation for how that happens. But let's just assume we're talking about the full ride and you're in. There's an expression 
and this is tr- used in therapy, but it's especially applicable, I think, to some of these stronger psychedelic experiences, which is what you resist persists. So if you're having an emotion, it's not, it's not that the emotion is the problem, it's your response to the emotion that's the problem, right? So that is very much, I think, compatible spanning the gap between what we might consider meditation and a psychedelic experience. It's the same. It's just magnified. If you resist something in meditation, there's a certain consequence. If you resist something in psychedelics, it's that consequence times 100. So if you're able to rehearse and practice and cultivate the ability to observe without resisting, it is very helpful. The risk, and I have seen this with experienced meditators, is that they effectively in the psychedelic experience are able to almost dissociate from a first-person experience and sit on the sidelines. They don't allow themselves to be taken. And Yeah, I love that. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I <laughs> and there's a certain wisdom in that there's a safety in that but you do not in my yeah. pers- in my opinion you don't get the full experience yeah you're the, you're the coach you're watching the players on the field and you're like yeah, yeah good job keep it up yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Like, clap 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 like, and, but you're not yeah. you're not having the in the zone experience i get it of get being it. on the playing field in a way that allows you to ride the lightning and well that's not true surrender then right because you would surrender if you're really truly surrendering you would let it take you right if you allow it it's a it's for meditators it's a conscious decision in many cases mm-hmm. unless they They're just interesting. Get, unless they, they have the get, choice where most people don't most people don't they just for most people it's not surrendering it's being taken without thought of there being an alternative right right, right. for meditators i will say i mean there there is a dose that will render oh sure you just like a, a piece shit? of fucking uh, it could just be one cup depending on the brew it yeah. could just make you a piece of driftwood in a hundred foot wave right i mean there is there is that. there there are circumstances in which i don't really care how good you are at meditating uh, scare me stop talking about it let's just do it <laughs> next week <laughs> but uh but the room composition matters and this is where i'm going to get out there so welcome to crazy town everybody but when you have proper guidance in the form of someone who is quarterbacking the experience, and you have a room of, let's just say, four to eight people. I think around six is really the sweet spot for me. That is the right size team for something like this. You are going to effectively have unprotected spiritual sex with everybody in that room, which is part of the reason why I typically do not drink with any strangers. I want to know what is under the hood for people on some level because it all gets put on the same shared table in that experience. And I don't have any scientific proof for this. I only have my own direct experience and I try to trust in the fidelity of my direct experience. Stuff gets shared in that room. So it's good to have some basic familiarity of what what you're contending with. And well, what's interesting, you don't, it it doesn't necessarily manifest in a negative way. So for instance, I have a friend who I have sat with many dozens of times now, uh, 
And we will often have the exact same experience. We will see the same things. We will hear the same things. We will experience nausea at exactly the same times. Or, more interestingly, one of us will get super nauseous and then the nausea will disappear and then the other person will vomit as if that has been handed off to the other person. They assume that burden or responsibility or feeling and they process it for the other person. It's very odd. It's very odd and it is very, very common. So uh, we should get a good crew together. Who are we going to get? It's you, me, David Blaine. Uh, who else are we going to get to fucking Mike, Mike Shinoda? Uh, lead singer, Kiss. <laughs> I gotta run. I gotta get back to my girls. Okay, man. This has been awesome, dude. Yeah, good to hang, man. And um, it is great to see you, man. I want to say a couple things real quick before we wrap up. One, um, happy new year. I love you. I miss you. Yeah, um, I love you too. Brother. It is always great to do these. It's, it's been so many fun years of us doing these these oh, ridiculous makes me so happy ridiculous podcasts yeah. you know like speaking yeah. of cock punch like this is <laughs> the cock punch of podcasts like yeah, it really is it's just us being ridiculous like <laughs> it, it's, it's hashtag good. forward slouch <laughs> yeah the, the thing I, I love about like just to say this because this goes on your main feed is like you know you have a very successful podcast that makes a lot of money doing what you do so well and the fact that you would say, hey, I'm going to dumb it down from time to time and just have a good time and do these types of shows, <laughs> it means a lot, man. It's, it's oh, like, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, I think it's core of who we are, though. Like, yeah. we, we, we both like to be professionals on some level and then also just fuck it. We're going to die soon. Let's have a good time, right? Yeah, so, 100%, I man. I, I love these conversations. I miss you. I miss the family. And I, I hope to spend more time in person. So I'll, I'm at the very you least, come to LA more often. I'll, You're I'll, thinking about that, right? I would like to spend some more time out there. It's perfect weather. There's a lot to be said for it. Easy access to nature. Yeah, I get to hang <laughs> a lot. I just in terms of the dating life, it, yeah, you have a good time. Right yeah, here. yeah, it's true. It's a large playing field out there, and I am gonna, a lot of pickleball out here. A lot of pickleball. A lot of pickleball. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But oh yeah, yeah. You don't know what it means. Oh, what a what a what a class act. And I also have a lot of friends out there. I also have a lot of friends, and it'd be yeah. fun to do these in person, man. We used to do in person oh, all the time. Sure. We used to always do in all person. All the time in SF, yeah. It was so fun. So We looked a lot a lot younger, less gray ball sacks back then. Yeah, the ball sacks were, were really resplen- <laughs> they were, they were resplendent prime. in their youthful vigor. I, I had like a, <laughs> a ponytail on mine. I had the whole thing. Little, like, little, little ponytails. It was good luck. <laughs> <laughs> on that note oh my god sorry if we offended anyone today obviously I'm not we've had sorry. a few drinks we've I'm had so fun not, I'm so okay. not sorry <laughs> if you're offended please Jesus relax unsubscribe you're gonna yeah unsubscribe you're gonna die soon have some fun <laughs> exactly <laughs> alright man alright brother good to see you man and uh, to good everybody to listening you. I don't even know if we're gonna have show notes but maybe <laughs> <laughs> team.blog slash podcast that's where you can find the more serious stuff and uh, happy holidays and happy new years everybody happy new year to you too man 
Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is Five Bullet Friday. Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little fun before the weekend? Between one and a half and two million people subscribe to my free newsletter, my super short newsletter called Five Bullet Friday. Easy to sign up, easy to cancel. It is basically a half page that I send out every Friday to share the coolest things I've found or discovered or have started exploring over that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things. It often includes articles I'm reading, books I'm reading, albums perhaps, gadgets, gizmos, all sorts of tech tricks and so on that get sent to me by my friends, including a lot of podcast guests. And these strange esoteric things end up in my field and then I test them and then I share them with you. So if that sounds fun, again, it's very short, a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend, something to think about. If you'd like to try it out, just go to tim.blog slash Friday, type that into your browser, tim.blog slash Friday, drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Allform. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about Helix Sleep and their mattresses, which I've been using since 2017. I have two of them upstairs from where I'm sitting at this moment. Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started making sofas. They've launched a company called Allform, A-L-L-F-O-R-M, and they're making premium, customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. So I'm sitting in my living room right now, and it's entirely Allform furniture. I've got two chairs, I've got an ottoman, and I have an L-sectional couch, and I'll come back to that. You can pick your fabric. They're all spill, stain, and scratch resistant. The sofa color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, the shape to make sure it's perfect for you in your home. Also, Allform arrives in just three to seven days and you can assemble it all yourself in a few minutes. No tools needed. I was quite astonished by how modular and easy these things fit together, kind of like Lego pieces. They've got armchairs, love seats, all the way up to an eight seat sectional. So there's something for everyone. You can also start small and kind of build on top of it if you wanted to get a smaller couch and then build out on it, which is actually in a way what I did because I can turn my L sectional couch into a normal straight couch and then with a separate ottoman in a matter of about 60 seconds. It's pretty rad. So I mentioned I have all of these different things in this room. I use the natural leg finish, which is their lightest color, and I dig it. I mean, I've been using these things hours and hours and hours every single day. So I am using what I am sharing with you guys. And if getting a sofa without trying it in-store sounds risky, you don't need to worry. All form sofas are delivered directly to your home with fast free shipping, and you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. Your sofa frame also has a forever warranty that's literally forever. So check it out, take a look. They've got all sorts of cool stuff to choose from. I was skeptical and it actually worked. It worked much better than I could have imagined and I'm very, very happy. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Tim. That's A-L-L-F-O-R-M dot com slash Tim. Allform is offering 20% off all orders to you, my dear listeners, at allform.com slash Tim. Make sure to use the code Tim at checkout. That's allform.com slash Tim and use code Tim at checkout. This episode is brought to you by GiveWell. Donating money to help other people is a wonderful act. But how can you be confident? How can you know that your donations are actually improving or saving lives effectively? It's hard to do. You could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, what programs they run, what their administrative overhead is, how effective those programs are, and on and on and on. It would be a full-time job. It could take forever. I know this from experience because I tried to do it that way manually. It is a ton of work. 
GiveWell spends more than 30,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations. Then they direct funding to a few of the highest impact evidence-backed opportunities they've found. They do the work for you. More than 100,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate more than $1 billion, which includes 678,000 donated by you, my dear listeners. So it makes a difference. Rigorous evidence indicates that these donations will save more than 150,000 lives and improve the lives of millions more. That's why GiveWell does what they do. And using GiveWell's research is free. GiveWell wants as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about high-impact giving. So they publish all of their research and recommendations on their site for free, no sign-up required. They allocate your tax-deductible donation to the charity or fund you choose without taking a cut. If you've ever donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $100 before the end of the year. That's 2022. So one more time, if you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $100 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to givewell.org. Give, G-I-V-E-W-E-L-L.org, givewell.org. And when you get to check out, pick podcast and enter Tim Ferriss Show. It's that simple. Make sure they know that you heard about GiveWell on the Tim Ferriss Show to get your donation matched. One more time, that's givewell.org. And when you get to check out, pick podcast and enter Tim Ferriss Show.